G'day, and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark, and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start, but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away, or even plan to hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire, where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos, along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and good hunting. And carry on. So listen, guys, if you're listening, this is actually supposed to how this podcast is rolling tonight. So let's, <laughs> let's go. just keep going. Let's, just, let's keep going. <laughs> well, so chat, chat GPT is basically, it's how they output the algorithm together and how they're programming it. So you can literally, it, it's unbelievable for one part because you can say, teach me about biomechanics or astrophysics mm. as if I'm a six-year-old and it will <laughs> differentiate how it gives you the information. And he, he gave an example on the Joe Rogan podcast and it was talking about how, uh, I can't remember what topic, but he was talking about how, oh, your toy that you love can be in this place, but exist in this place. Quantum mechanics it was. Mm-hmm. It could be here and here. And he explained it as, as if the person was a six-year-old and then you could do it as a 13-year-old. So you could bump yourself up and slowly learn it really well. But he was saying the biggest problem is if you have someone typing in the information and they're politically biased or whatever it might be, anti-hunting, all of a sudden it's spewing out information mm. that is not mm. accurate or it, can, it has it can been be tainted. Yeah. yeah, it can be influenced. And, and that's what this guy was saying. Is so as it's trolling information, it started off trolling information that you would, that, you know, we would assume or was correct. So it started at like, you know, if it was a an academic topic, it started at an academic level. But as it starts trolling, it starts to get further and further out. So eventually, it's probably going to tell you the world is flat, you know, because <laughs> it'll find enough information to prove the world is flat. So it's really quite interesting. I think that's really a great unintended because this guy was telling me about you know make using Chat GDP, GP, whatever, whatever it is, to develop a YouTube channel and content. And I said, well. What I've discovered is having two boys, eight and 10, that content is, there's two types of content. There's the content you put your heart and soul into and you make something really good that no one watches. And then you make a 50-minute video about how you go from day one as a Minecraft character to day day 100 as a Minecraft character. And it runs for 50 minutes and... 30 million people watch it and it <laughs> yeah. just runs. And that's how, you know, because like, uh, my boys have introduced me to Mr. Beast and those kind of guys. And you just watch their <laughs> content and you just go, holy moly. It's just, you can see where the, 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 the you know, the, the, the volume comes from. It just runs constantly. It's just like this, you know, Minecraft character, day one day 100 or you know 10,000 dragons versus 10,000 spartans versus 10,000 coppers and it's just this really clunky animation fight that just runs 24 hours a day and they just watch it and watch it and watch it and watch it that is the scary thing and it's you're sitting there as a teacher i sit there and go that they don't kids nowadays don't watch tv 
it's mm. all YouTube, it's all yeah. Instagram, or uh, sorry, Snapchat or TikTok is the main one, and that is their source of information. It's their entertainment. It's it's a yeah, different it's so world, short, right? and that's the scary part. Mm, it is do, because, yeah. because their attention span spans so is short. thirty seconds or twenty seconds or something like that. So it must be destroying their attention span. Well, that's the thing is that it's, you know, the whole, everything's instant gratification nowadays. No mm. one really works for anything. And I think that's probably the thing I love about hunting is that it's not just walk out there and get something. It's that, that journey. And I'm trying to instill that in my kids. And it's hard because they're only little, the, the oldest is three. So, but trying to teach him that, you know, it's okay to be bored. And so, okay, to not get that satisfaction straight away, because a lot of kids don't have that anymore. It's, it's yeah, very yeah. interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to get. I've got a, got a five year old, nearly six year old, and he's full of beans. And he, he's gone through the phase already. It'll come back. He's gone through the phase already of being glued to a TV whenever he's allowed to be or grabbing an iPad because he can see it over there and he knows dad's password and he can get onto it. And, you know, we're restricted. We're a little bit careful with it. But he's gone through that phase already and he's, he's now getting booted out of the house during the day on a weekend. And he's bored. Like he's bored. So he's got to make his own fun. And all of a sudden, he's got a sword stick and a dragon over there and something else to go and beat up and you know he's got a suction yeah. cat bow and he's got my, my indicating dog flushing chickens out of the out of the hedges trying to plink away at them and <laughs> like it's great for them to get out there and, and be mischievous i saw the the most awesome post that i'm sort of trying to live by a little bit and that was um don't stop your children doing dangerous things carefully mm. and i thought that was mm. brilliant like you know He's he's making a ramp. He's on his two wheel push bike that he's just taken training wheels off. He's got his helmet on and he's managed to get his little elbow pads and things from his from his mum's skate. So he's being safe. But man, that jump's pretty big. You just got to let him go. You got to watch him do it. <laughs> yeah, you got to let him go. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's a uh, there's a guy who um, I think I can't remember his name now. I think his last name is Tulliver, and he wrote this series of books called um, basically it was about he did this TED talk and that's where it started about getting you, allowing your kids to do dangerous things. And he had like a book about the 10, you know, the 15 dangerous things your kids should be able to do. And it was like light a fire and these things. And so he was all about that. And he, he used to, he, well, he, at the, I haven't heard, heard, I haven't listened to him for a while, but he used to run these kind of summer camps where the, he would allow kids to use power tools and build stuff. And they would build the most ridiculous things. Like they built this roller coaster. It was a, like a ground level roller coaster. So, because it basically is gravity, but they built the whole thing, tracks the whole thing, these kids with power tools. And he said, he showed them out of these power tools and said, okay, build this roller coaster. And this really interesting thing happened was they built at one of the camps, they built boats and they dragged them out and they sank. So they went on and they dragged them back in. And he said, they were sitting there and they were trying to, the boat sank and he didn't say anything and they started to decorate the boats, paint them. They started drawing on them and he said he just didn't say anything and let them go, let them go. And after a while they went, well, maybe if we do this and we do that and we do this. But the, they had to go through this process where they just had to basically disconnect their brain from from the you know from what happened to them, the sinking boat, and they did it by basically drawing and decorating and painting. And once they did that, they started thinking, okay. So and then eventually they went back and they and they modified these boats and they started making boats that work. So it was really quite an amazing, amazing process about how they went through that. How they he just let them go, do it, you'll figure it out. 
don't don't hold them back. And I think that's a you know that's a really big outcome of all that. Let them do things that are that are a bit dangerous. A little yeah. bit dangerous, not too dangerous. Back to GPT. <laughs> I think we should get that. And looking, it's hard. Okay, you know, it's hard. So you know, letting your kids walk home from school or walk to school by themselves and stuff like that, it's hard. But it's character building, and you know, builds resilience mm. and all those wonderful things. I think it's that creative. If you're not bored, you don't get creative. And you know, I, I've seen it. Some of the best things I've learnt have actually been from my students who have just come up with these amazing ideas. I'm a PE teacher and I remember we did this health priorities um, assessment task where they had to create a uh, a, a product that could promote health or, or look at something. And one of these students came up with this brilliant idea about a watch band that would change color in the sun to let you know how much UV exposure you would yeah. get so that yeah. you wouldn't get skin mm-hmm. cancer. And I was just sitting there in awe, sort of going, this is a 17-year-old girl who has just come up with this idea that could be, you know, revolutionary if we can work out how to do it. Mm. And that just came from someone with no experience, no anything that, you know, they're, they're still a kid just learning. And that just amazes me that, you know, everyone from all walks of life have so much to offer. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's great to, to hear those sort of things. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, you would you would um, cross a lot of really amazing creative minds in uh, in what you're doing. What what um, what year are you allowed to go into this? I know you're teaching stuff a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I'm bit. so I'm a head teacher PE and um, down here in Sydney, and I teach year seven to twelve. So sort of the twelve year olds up to you know I've taught kids that are nineteen. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I reckon you should introduce yourself. I you should, introduce, man, I should. I think you should introduce yourself. <laughs> I think we might. We might get <laughs> some, someone's going to listen to this and go. <laughs> someone's listening to this and go. What's well, what's going on here? Okay, so just, Matt, introduce we're talking yourself. Talking random. That's it. <laughs> uh, yeah, Matt. I'm. Uh, I'm from Sydney. Um, basically, I host Australian Hunting and Beyond podcast. Uh, pretty new into the hunting game and and had a bit of a a passion for, for podcasting and, and started up the endless pursuit with uh, a couple other guys and that sort of ended and I've moved on and, and gone out on my own, which has been a, um, you know, it's been great. It's been a, a big change, which has, has been nice, but also um, I'm thoroughly enjoying what's happening and, and talking and meeting to, to new people. And it's uh, it's pretty interesting. It started, you know, it started actually from a teaching thing. I, my first podcast was actually making boring just me talking into a microphone for my HSC students so they would get great results and, and get into uni. <laughs> That's how it started. So they could just drive to school and, and I started with that and it got the bug, sort of went, oh, that sounds crappy, but I can fix that. And I love learning about a variety of things. So that's how it all came about. So, yeah. Wow. That's good, mm. mate. And the, uh, the relaunch has been well-received. We've uh, been following along and, uh, enjoying the guests that you're bringing on, so well done with that. It uh, would have been easy to, to to pack the cards up and go home when uh, all of the, the work and effort you put in uh, sort of came to an end abruptly. But um, good on you for trucking on, mate, and, and getting it running. So yeah, yeah, cheers. Uh, it's been good. It's um, it's one I just oh, I see things very different. Like I. I I love listening to all the different podcasts and I see things so differently to some of you guys. And, you know, I was listening to your dear one the other day and there's things I haven't even thought about, but that's how I learn and, and talking to people is how I learn. So it's, it's great because I, uh, I just, 
I, there's so many good ones out there with so much expertise. I sort of feel that my one's not too bad because I'm not the expert and mm. that I maybe think about things that you guys have probably forgotten because you, you know, so good. And so I've been doing it for so damn long. Yeah. I, I, I uh, the same, I enjoy listening to other people's podcasts. Um, I, I always wish that there was a button I could push to interject. So perhaps, but, 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 uh, <laughs> well, they've changed the subject now. I've moved on. Um, one that comes to mind and I'd love to cover it. Um, this is all questions without notice, of course, and this is the way tonight's going to go. Um, you had a conversation the other day um, that I was listening to, <coughs> excuse me, and you were talking about your hunt that you caught up with James. Now, I'm not talking about the podcast with James from Blackfoot. I'm talking about the previous podcast where you talked about that hunt. I can't remember which one it was. <coughs> excuse me. You talked about that deer that you saw and then got shot some however many kilometers away. Now. Don't take this the wrong way. Uh, I was listening away. I called bullshit on you in my car. No way. No chance <laughs> that that deer where you were travel that far and get shot by James. And I know I, you got I, proof. I want to hear about I'll it. I'll send you. Can you retell the, it? Retell uh, it. I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, sure. to hear it. Because this is so, bizarre. I have never hunted in the rut. It was my very first experience in the rut down at Moragul North. And oh, okay. I yep. went down with uh, two other guys and we met James from Blackfoot Designs. Great fella. And he, we didn't know him. So we ended up sharing camp and that, we'll get out of that. He went down one way and I went, we went up to the sort of top in a different section. And we, uh, I was chasing it in the, the first morning that I was there. Oh, sorry, after the, the first evening. And Got super close. The, the buck ran past me at about seven meters, chasing three does. And there was, there's the, if you've ever been to Maragal North, there's a big um, power line that runs straight through it. And they basically were crossing over that. You can't shoot through it, obviously, in exclusion. <clears throat> and they were going back and forth. Now, the only reason I know that is I had a mate, Tristan, there, and he filmed it. So he had these, he's a great photographer and, and videographer, and he got these great photos of this buck. So from where I had, missed it essentially within we worked it out about 30 odd minutes it covered three kilometers the way the crow flies i've got the gps location because i actually went to the buck and helped him carry it out little did we know that it was the buck that i was chasing in the morning and that's why i know exactly where we were because i've got obviously that gps location and the other one so look i don't, it wasn't three exactly. It was about 2.91 k's. But, uh, you know, neither here nor there. So at that point, I was the same buck. How do you know it was the same buck? The photos. So I'll get him to send me the photo. So we got the photo from Tristan that's got it running across the power line. And then we've got the photo of him that's, you know, harvested. And it's like, it's identical. I, uh, like, you, there is unbelievably no mistake in it. Uh, uh, I'm happy to share them. I'll, I'll send them. I'd love to any different, yeah. tell me. This is where uh, I want to it, it? and say, no. come on, it's the same genetics. It's the same area. It's got the same cleft, the same color. I'm not saying you're wrong. It's just that mm. in the moment when I was saying, I'd love to ask questions here. You know, when you listen yeah, to podcasts, look- you don't get that opportunity. I'm like, okay, <sighs> doable. Half an hour, a deer on the hoof. No worries. Yeah. It had to be being pursued. Um, man, that's a long way for it in half an hour. Well, that, that's what I thought. And I'm glad you brought it up, to be honest, because I'm super shocked about it. And mm. I, it doesn't make sense from where he was chasing the girls to where he got to, to bed down. And, 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 and James shot him. He was just bed, bedded down eating. 
That was and, the point. Uh, he actually he shot was, him. He, he wasn't yeah, on the like, run anymore. He'd, he'd run no. flat out, flat Bicky for 30 minutes to get 3Ks and then calmed himself down and bit well, it. All no, dear, a deer won't have to run flat Bicky for, ha- no, for, for half an hour to do 3Ks. It did 3Ks in, in three minutes. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's it. I mean, it's that, that distance is nothing for a deer. That timing is nothing for a deer. My question is, why did it run that distance? Mm, it's a long way to go. I, I the, the distance is not a problem. I've watched red deer literally just kind of just run a mm. long way. In the, you know, just going, it's running, it's not stopping, it's going, it's going, it's going. You know, they've got the the, the asses flared, and they're just gone. And you just go, wow, that thing's just move, moves at you know ridiculous speed. Um, so I don't think. There's any issue about it covering that time in that that distance in that time? My question is, why would it do that? Especially well, when he was, if he was holding Hans as well. If he was, if he had Hans with him, why would he have to go that far? You yeah, think he would stay yeah, with the ladies. I, I I I don't understand why he would run that one, mm. unless well, the, unless the power lines were spooking the shit out of him. <laughs> he, he was. This was the interesting thing because the other croaking buck on the other side was like young, like Spiker, because mm. I bumped him later because i crossed over thinking oh it's still over there because i had no i hadn't seen any of this mind you because tristan had sat back filming and whatnot i was right down chasing them and then i crossed Mm. over uh trying to to see what had happened and little did i know that he'd got the the dough and pushed her back across anyway and then i bumped the spiker about you know another 45 minutes so it was sort of interesting because he you know, we think he was the, 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 the big buck for the area, but it's a big area. Mm, and it's yeah, a long, yeah. it was a long way away. Mm. Um, That's but, it. But the, three, yeah. three, three Ks for an animal is a long way for it to run because no predator is going to pursue it that far. So, you know, animals, when they're spooked and they want to get away from a predator, they'll turn it on and go, but they don't, you know, they're, they're not like... They're not going to, they're not Forrest Gump, you know, they're not going to keep running, running, <laughs> running. They're, they're going to quickly kind of go, oh, I'm out of danger and they're going to pull up. Plus so it's thick. That, yeah, that's a long way for an animal to move just to being spooked. Um, I love it. I think it's a great story. Can't wait to see the photo. It is. It's interesting. I, 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 I want to know. I, I, I want to know. What, I'm not denying I just want to know. Was that, you know, I'd like yeah. to go back there with a fluoro tube and hold it up and see if that tube lit up because the area is <laughs> buzzing. Brrr, and the deer oh. just went. <laughs> just, it probably is. Just the combobulated. Beat, the it's bloody, you know, it's, it's, it's it just. Nuts just, are vibrating. Just, yeah, just confused the shit out of its nervous system. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's really weird. That's it. That is weird. But look, I've, there's weird game. Yeah, Stranger things have happened. Yeah, man. I, I was in the middle of Pilliger West, which is even more remote than Pilliger East, and I was off track following goat, and I found a printer, <laughs> <laughs> a dot matrix printer. Oh. Uh, Who's who's travelled two hours? The gods must be crazy. To jump a printer to nowhere. Gods then must got be out crazy. Of their car travelled two hours to nowhere. Then got out of their car. Then gone for a walk <laughs> to dump a printer. I mean, what was in that printer? I mean, was it was it no, no, cobia, no, sky, was it was it strontium ninety or something? Was it using, was it you know was it from Pine Gap or something? What was on that printer, mate? They went. Yes, went. Is a printer? I was couldn't believe it. I went. There's a printer here. You know, it's not like it was on the side of a track. It was in the scrub. Hmm. 
Well, so you do some, find some, some forestry guy obviously was, you know, carrying in to do a bit of writing, you know, he printed it out and he left it there and so I'll come back. Found, I don't know. We found a porcelain toilet in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. That's a long way mm. into the middle of nowhere. Someone's had mm. to have taken that in. Um, but why? I didn't get that. We found a sofa. I found the, the sofa, yeah, that one at, at Pillock in um, um, Nundal. Nundal. Top. Yep. Yeah. The sofa up there. There's a few weird it's things. It's a random sofa. You're getting around a few of these parks now. You're, you've got a local one now that you found with your bow. Um, and you've been, <laughs> yeah. been in and around a few state forests in the last couple of years. Have you found anything weird and wacky? Not really. I've been, not yet. Um, not yet. Not yet. Mm. There's been some pretty, a lot of rubbish, which is a bit disappointing. But, mm. um, you know, not, not really anywhere that I've sort of gone, that's extremely weird. I've never even seen a trail camera. Oh, there, really? To be honest. Never seen one. Not looking uh, for them, though, either? Yeah, not still. looking for them, but, you know, I, I try to get off the beaten track a fair bit. I sort of look at where mm. most people might be going and, and try and go somewhere else um, just to, you know, it is public land and there's a lot of people out there and that's the beauty of it. But it's also, I want to try and find some spots that people might not be there and they might not be as skittish. So, Yeah, I had a, I had a trail camera down in Nundal, <laughs> no, Hanging Rock it was, taking photos for a year, had an incredible amount of photos on it and I had a mate um, that had been coming hunting with us for a little while, Tim, who's listening. Um, he, uh, I, he was going back to Hanging Rock. I said, mate, go down and check out my camera. Here's the spot. And he came back out. He goes, mate, I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, I looked exactly where you said it was. It wasn't there. And uh, eight months later, I went back for the rut, picked up the camera. There's Tim staring straight at the camera like this. <laughs> I couldn't see it. It was right there. It would have been three metres from it. It was at eye height. No problem. It's a great photo of Tim. <laughs> They're hard to spot for a reason. If you're not looking for them, yeah. <clears throat> You're looking at yep. you're looking for sign on that on the ground. You're not looking for camera. Oh yeah, well, I mean, it's mean that's right. You, if you kind of catch in your eye line, you go, oh, there's that. You know, there's a there's a there's a geometric shape on a tree that jumps out. But I mean, if you're not if you're not looking for them, you easily walk past them. Um, and I noticed that my um my uh my trail cam say must make some kind of noise. Oh, he's looking at the camera. I've got a couple of shots of this red uh, uh, rue just kind of. Look, literally, kind of staring at it, you know, right in the face of it. Just looking, and another one of a deer, kind of looking sideways at this thing. So they must, they must make some kind of noise. There must be some, something to them that you know, especially the cheaper ones, because I'm only using cheap ones. And they, but they, but yeah, just Rue's just looking straight at it. He's just, you can see him. He's gone pop, pop, pop. Oh, there's something over there, and he's just come up to it straight out. And you often see deer, eh? When, when, um, when uh, they capture the video spin around and look at the camera mm. um so whether it's the light we're not quite as smart as we think we are but they get used to them yeah i don't know but um that's it they, they certainly but i haven't i haven't i haven't seen that many trial cams i've, I've pick, picked up a couple i mean i've not touched them but i've seen a few of them um but i haven't seen any like um in places like the pilliger or anything like that because it's just too big but certainly, you know, and I mean, where you are, Matt, the, you know, you get you get probably the forest that more people visit than we tend to hunt. Probably the most, for us, the most common one that we hunt is, is Nundle or the Nundle system. That, that gets a lot of people, but Pillar doesn't get that many people. Severn gets a lot of people, but it's a small block, so they tend to kind of cycle through it pretty quickly. 
So yeah, um, I mean, it must be quite. I know, and you see a lot of guys got trail cameras down on on the on the Facebook pages. So there's plenty of them out there. Have you bumped into any of the um, Ranger ones? Have not seen any. Seen any. <laughs> well, that's what's been really interesting. I had a lot of issues with Belanglo, to be honest, because part of the DPI is that obviously when it, with their written permission is that if you've got to obey forestry signs. Yeah. And for a long time, and they still actually are currently, well, the last time I was there, which was a few weeks ago now, but um, it says all the roads are closed. Now, oh. for me, saying no traffic through, for me, it's like we can't go in there. And then so I contacted Forestry and spoke to the bloke that runs Belanglo and got him to send me an email in writing. So I've got it to say, yeah, well, he considers that if you've got written permission, you're good to go. Yeah. But Oh, okay. But the road, all the all the signage is saying you can't be in there. Yeah, that's and then, um, yeah, it's very interesting. And that's why I sort of very hesitant, sort of wanting, I wanted it in, a, in an email. And he was sort of taken aback by that. And I was like, well, mate, our written permission clearly states this. You're telling me something else. But if I run into DPI, what's going to be my response when they say, mate, it's in your written permission? Oh, this bloke said something. Yeah, I was said like, I'd rather prove it. Yeah. yeah. I said, I'd rather have <clears throat> something written from you just to be on the safe side. I like to do everything above board and, and make sure the, the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. So he was good enough that he sent it out. Um, but that's the that's sort of where the only time I've gone in and there's a lot of signage from DPI saying the area is under surveillance. So I'm guessing if they've got, you know, a couple of signs in there, they've probably got them somewhere, but I haven't seen them. And I haven't mm. ever ran into a, a DPI officer either. So now? No. Usually. Usually. Yeah. Usually, um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, um, only again, only ever at Nundle, nowhere else. Um, Ned Macon, many years ago. We invite um, them to camp when we yeah, have our hunt yeah. camp. We invite them down to come yeah. have a chat with the boys just to yeah, answer any of the questions that they might have. This sort of stuff comes out. Um, yeah. we had a couple of them show up, we were in the middle of butchering some deer and doing a demo. Um, they stood around and watched the whole time. Um, they were quite keen to hear what was going on. They were the ones that showed up to camp to tell us about the rule that they were going to enforce mm. about having to camp in the forest camp that you in the forest. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a park there. You're probably not familiar with it, mate, but um, there's a there's a, a common campground that sort of borders Hanging Rock and Ponderosa. Ponderosa. Mm. Ponderosa. Yeah. 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 I heard can't you mention it before. Yeah. You can't stay there anymore if you're staying at, um, if, if you're hunting Nundle. So anyway, they came and they, they were fine about it. They've always been really good fellas, so it's been really good. Mm. Um, but on your mm. point about forestry, um, I've mentioned this before too, but it's worth covering it off. Um, quite often the parks are shut down for fires for the whole summer season, not by the fire um, brigade, not by the, um, whatever you would call them, um, the fire authority, um, <clears throat> but by forestry. And I went into one of the parks yeah. and it had been raining for a week. And I rang the phone number on the sign that you see, you know, the DPI sign shows, it says for inquiries, ring this number, ring this number. I said, I'm camping up here. It's wet as hell. Can I, you know, what's the deal with the fires? And he says, oh, that's no, fine. It's a blanket cover, but um, mm. we know you're there. Thanks very much for letting us know. If you're using a fire pit that's up in that campfire, up that campsite, it's absolutely fine. Put it out when you're done. And um, that was fine by me. Kept his name, kept his phone number. Never had an issue with it, but I'm certainly happy to ask Forestry at any point in time to clarify a rule because the local on-call guys are usually happy to accommodate. So, Yeah. I mean, we—that's it. We, John and I encountered that a couple, well, 
was it a year ago or two years ago now? Mark? Two years ago, know. yeah. Down in um <laughs> in Pilago. So there was the, <laughs> a sign that was not a it was a forestry sign that said you know total fire ban till but, April. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. You know, and it was yeah. No, it had to be gas only. Oh, well, I rang the DPI because I was pretty confused about the roads closed. Can we go in? And DPI's response on the person on the phone, he was, he was pretty good, but he just said, mate, if the, the roads say closed, you can't travel on it. So it was sort of, they were both giving conflicting information. Mm. That's one of the reasons I wanted an email because I was just sitting there going, well, you know, I'm not, not, I'm not doing anything wrong. DPI were going, well, can you book it? And I was like, yeah, you can book it. So he goes, well, we're there. It's open, but, if they're saying the road's closed, like you've got to follow it, and it's sort of oh, this isn't this isn't really helping me, guys. Getting that wrong has all the insurance implications that you don't want to know about. Right? That's right. Um, yeah, yeah, but nah. Yeah, but nah. Well, yeah. even, even more, I, I don't have private access. Like I, I've, you know, that's nothing I've ever been exposed to. So I probably go a little bit crazy on the not wanting to do anything wrong in a state forest because that's my hunting. So no, if that gets taken for an innocent mistake, um, you know, that there sort of goes hunting for me and I don't really want to take that chance. So, yeah. I, uh, that and those was, rules, yeah. those rules are hey, hard exactly. to get to know. They are hard mm. to get to know. I was giving a guy a hand like we tend to do five or six times a week. Um, someone will ring and say, hey, I'm going here, give us some, some pointers. Um, you know, we've listened to your podcast. What else can you tell us? And he was on the phone this afternoon. I said, I oh, said, so where are you going? Said, going to Nundal. Where are you staying? Ponderosa. I said, really? I said, no. how, how, how well did you listen to the podcast, mate? Um, <laughs> because, you know, we've, we've covered that you can't do that. And he's like, oh, all right. Um, so, what, you know, so, so we've sort of educated him a little bit there. And so, so what's the plan? He goes, oh, I'll get there Thursday night and I'll take the spotlight and the thermal out. We're going to have a look. And I said, oh, cool. You know, you'll be able to see what's going on out there. What are you going to do with your rifles? Oh, they're in the car. I said, mate, I said, you're, you're cruising for it right now because, you know, you get stopped by someone who's checking on the pig doggers. With the spotlight. Um, you've got a rifle yeah. spotlight and a thermal. Yeah, thermal. Right. Here comes the book, right? Yeah. They'll, they'll smash you with it right around the ears. So um, I think sometimes the rules are hard to, to navigate. Even, um, no disrespect to the DPI guys, they've got to write the rules in common English that make sense to people that can be understood, but they can easily be taken out of context. You know, it's like the whole COVID thing. Hunting's an exercise. We can go hunting. You, you'll read how you want to read it sometimes, and that can mm, be quite difficult. So it's worth asking the question. I agree with you that, you know, staying on the right side of it, like a long way on the right side of it, is important. <clears throat> um, but then we get caught out. I, um, I was at Nundal during our hunt camp uh, last year, and I'd had a conversation about, um, where you are and aren't allowed to be. You know, there's this rule about firearms that says, you know, if you if you um, if you put the fear into someone because you've got a rifle, you've broken the law. Like there are people that come home from the sh- from the shotgun shoot, you know, clay target shooting, and they're unloading their rifles in the driveway, and the neighbour sees them, they've broken the law. Sadly, that's the state of it. If they feel concerned. Um, well, anyway, I'd, I'd shot the steer and I was on the march back to camp and the quickest way back was straight up the road. So straight up the road I went and I didn't see anyone. Oh, no, a listener popped past, had a good had a good yarn. He said he was in the forest because he'd listened to the podcast and he'd driven his family down. That was cool. The next car I saw was the Ranger. 
And he's pulled up next to me and goes, hey, how's it going, mate? Didn't say a thing about the fact that I was walking up the main road with my rifle. It was in a cover, on my pack, stowed away. That was all cool. <clears throat> but I was not sure how far left or right of that line I might have been in that situation. And it's hard to find out. So, I don't know, it's a difficult one. Mm. I think it's a real difficult Especially one. Especially when I was in Nundal and I found a pile of about 30 uh Blank rounds of two to three in a pile. Blanks. Yeah. So someone with a, a, some, someone with a, with a semi-auto that shoots blanks in two to three was letting them off right there. And so uh, someone it was some kind of exercise, obviously, because there was just this pile of just a pile of the you know plastic blanks. So someone was going there at one stage because <laughs> they were all on a neat little pile right there. On I think they could have uh, been fully. It was, it was someone doing an exercise, you know. It would yeah. have been police or something like that. Two to three blanks, you know. And just it about the Nundle, it's safe. Yeah, and it was like, um, yeah, it's actually on the corner of Snowballs and Forest yeah. Way. I've got a photo of it. In fact, that photo from the last week's podcast where my truck is parked, where I parked that truck, and I got out, I went, look on the ground, there, and there's a big pile of blanks sitting there. So. So yeah, someone's huh? having a bit of fun there that could be seen as menacing. Yeah, yeah. that's for sure. Matt, are there any other um, any other um, rules that you find that you're unsure about or, or others have been unsure about that they ask you the question? Are there any other vague ones that come to mind? Mate, a heap. I think, <laughs> you know, I look at it and Hang just on, let go, me get the Bible. <laughs> oh, just the – and this isn't being disrespectful to anyone that's written them, but they're not very explicit. They're hmm. very open to interpretation, and that worries me. <laughs> you know, like what what does when you're travelling with your rifle, what does taking all necessary precautions, what does that look like? Because that's very different for everybody out there. And that that's always made me very nervous because, you know, I one of the things I do like about hunting is going to a country town and supporting the local community by spending my money there and where's the line of what you're leaving your rifle in the car now look i go above and beyond i have you know a, a lock that goes through the the bolt and uh, sorry the through the action and, and whatnot and that is for me i go well that's an additional thing i have everything else locked in different compartments and and i think i could justify that i've gone above and beyond but you know, who am I to say that someone doesn't sit there and go, no, well, you could have done this or you could have done this. Yeah. That makes me nervous. And one actually question you might, guys might have a bit more experience to answer was a, uh, a person reached out and said, what about if you go down to a state forest and you take multiple rifles mm-hmm. and you're out all day hunting and you leave one back locked up in the car? And I was like, hmm, I, I don't know. I, I personally wouldn't do that because I, you're not near the car. So I think an argument could be made, but the car's locked. Like it's, it's for me, it's a very gray area. What do, what do you guys think? I think it comes down to, are you able to demonstrate that you took over all necessary steps to secure that firearm? Okay. So ultimately that's what it is because um, you're, you're, you're saying, so what we're saying is something has happened and that you've come back to the car and that firearm is no longer there, okay? So, okay, so what would happen? And so then obviously there would 
that would trigger off a series of of unfortunate events. Um, and you would want to be able to clearly state, I've done everything in my power to secure that firearm. And I think if you do that, then you know the 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 rate the weight of reasonableness falls in your favour. So um, if you've got it in the car and it's in a locked container and that container is in a locked car and the the necessary things about separating, depending on where you are, separating bolt and ammo and all that kind of stuff, if you followed all that, then I, I'm assuming that you could argue that I took all necessary steps because I don't think the legislation says that the firearm always has to be in your position, possession, yeah. but it has to be secured when it's not in your possession. So you could, if you argue that you've you've made every reasonable step to secure it, then then you've done that. On the flip side of that, I never do that. So I don't the, take more than one firearm to a state forest. On the flip side because of that, that, I do do I'm that. I'm very nervous. Huh? Yeah, that's right. You do if you do. That, if nervous. you do it, I do. I don't because I'm, I'm 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 a you know I'm, I'm you know I'm 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 a nervous Nelly when it comes to firearms. And so yeah. that's what I do. So I, I just go, okay, if I'm going to the state forest, this is the firearm I'm taking and that's what it is. But I go with other people who aren't like that. They go, okay, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do that. So as long as you are able to argue that it's, you've met all requirements for security, then I'm, I'm, you know, then yeah, you've hit the reasonables test. I mean, for me, a few years ago, I did, I redid my safety course because I was looking to get my pistol license. And so I, I redid my, my safety course and the course that I attended, the instructor said, and it was a general safety course. It was for, you know, A, B, plus it included category H for vehicles. And the instructor said her interpretation of that was if you were going somewhere to the shooting range, going hunting, if you were in a car accident, could someone walk and you were unconscious, could someone walk up and take the firearm from you? If they can't do that, it's locked away, it's secured, it's, you know, bolted to the, to the chassis or something like that. Mm then in the eyes of the law, you are safe. That was what the instructor told me. So I, that, that's what I bear in mind now. So if I put the rifle in the back seat, I put a lock through, um, I've got a bicycle cable and I put that through, you know, the, the rifle case and I secure that to the seat. Something like that. Someone can't walk up, just grab the rifle and walk away with mm. it. In the eyes of the instructor who is a, you know, well, you know, well instructed and, and well educated person on the laws, felt that that was you were taking the right action to secure that weapon. And you I think see the clarity people that put um, tie-down points in the back seat or under the back seat that yeah, you can bolt the exactly cable what I So I, I take, um, I've got a bicycle lock yeah. and I strip it through and I circle it through and I wrap around the tie-down points on the seat yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Mm, that's really it's interesting. taking reasonable action. So I've, me, got, I've got drawers and it goes in the drawer and then the back gets, it's, it's in a case, in a drawer, in a lock thing. And so one, it's... No one can see it, so yep. it's not in view, plain view. Uh, you know, it and it you, it would be very difficult for it to become in plain view. You couldn't, you know, the car would literally have to kind of peel apart for it to become in a plain view. And one and where it's stored, it's not stored with ammo and stuff like that. So it's stored; those things are stored separately. Yeah, I always keep on on the back well. seat with a jacket over. It. Yeah, <laughs> not quite. Right. Um, but to but just remember, you never know when you want to shoot him in the head and kick him. Sorry, mate, go. To, to answer your question about multiple rifles in park, um, I do all of that. I lock it in the car. Um, or, But most of the time when I'm taking multiple rifles, it's when we run these camps. And when we run the camps, we organise someone to stay at camp. 
right? So anyone who's left vehicles, campers, all of that sort of stuff, we have everyone on a sort of a roster. Um, it works itself out, <coughs> excuse me, over the week. Um, and then someone's looking after stuff. Uh, but I put the bolts in my pack. I lug the bolt around. It's no big deal to throw the bolt in your pack. Rifle's useless without the bolt. It'd take a long time for you to go and source a bolt and have it matched up. Uh, at that point in time, probably going to get busted for doing it anyway. So that rifle is completely hopeless without the bolt, and I think that's acceptable action to be able to do it. A bit harder if you've got a shotgun. Um, not going to carry half that gun in my pack. Um, but normally it's a, it's a different caliber rifle or a twenty two for shooting bunnies or something like that. There's a 25-minute answer for you. No, I think, <laughs> I think you make it, it – it's worth mentioning something, the point you make there, Matt, that, you know, you're saying that – and I think a lot of people share the same, you know, same value, that you're kind of over-nervous about doing something. Yeah. Because, you know, how important it is to you. And, I, and for me, this is the counter-argument when people say, oh, you know, Blokes from such and such are driving up here to poach. Mm. If you think about how important this is to you and how much you've invested in it and and all those things, the, the very last thing you're going to do is drive seven hours just so you can break the law, you know, when you've actually got free access. And I and I, I think that's really comes home. You know, you, you're actually not thinking, oh, how can I cut the system here? You're actually thinking, how do I... How do I ensure that there is no way possible I've, I've inadvertently made a mistake here? And I think that speaks volumes for most of the people who are involved in hunting. You know, this this is a conversation that happens all the time. How do I stop myself from inadvertently making a mistake? Because it's so invaluable, it's so important to me that I don't. You know, there's so many things that, that I've got in play here that are important to me that the last thing I want to do is lose the ability to do this simply from making mistakes or, you know, lack of effort or lack of knowledge. I think it's quite commendable and I think we should, you know, we should recognise that in many people who go out of their way not to get things wrong, out of the way to do exactly the right thing and actually probably go beyond it. You don't want to be. You don't want to be the one who who who's responsible for. Well, look, man, I've known, I've, known guys, I've known guys who've got pinged for doing something wrong, and it's always been kind of they've accepted they've done something wrong. But if it was a if you're in if you went to court, you they could probably still defend that they didn't do something wrong. And the, what I'm what I'm thinking of is I had a friend who got pinged who inadvertently was on the wrong side of a fence. Now, the GPS said he was on the right side of the fence and the, and you know and the he was in green not not pink area, but the landowner said that was my that was my land and they basically said, "Yeah, okay, you know, we'll err on the side of you." And my mate went, "Well, okay, yeah, I'll err on the side of you." And he got pinged for it, but he actually said, "Well, okay, I accept that." If he was if he went to court, he could have argued quite clearly that the map said I was here, this is what the information. So I think that's that speaks that's more what happens. People are actually worried about not do you know doing the wrong thing rather than how do I get away with it. There's some excellent spots in the wrong place in many parts. Mm. That the boundary says you're in the right place, but you've jumped over or I haven't, but people have jumped over a pretty clear boundary fence of a farm but feel they're justified to do so because the man mm. says so. And now I'm in beautiful pasture waiting for deer to come in at night time. 
you know, the sniff test doesn't pass, but yeah. the map says it's all right. Yeah. So I've got another one for you because okay. my hunt down at Moragle North, geez, everything happened down there. It was great. So yeah. the last night I was there, uh, one of the boys, we he went, uh, I, I don't know, he went up. Oh, no, he had to rescue some another hunter who'd got bogged and he got stuck for two and a half days So right. uh, with, with his two kids. And ah. they'd, uh, they'd walked. They were young kids too. They were, I think, don't quote me, maybe 11 and 13, something along God, those lines. It's getting worse and worse. And, uh, yeah, so he walked up and these guys walked up. It was funny. We were sitting in camp and we were joking that we hadn't seen anybody and it was James from Blackfoot Designs and he's uh, just going, there's a couple of people there. And I, I thought he was, you know, taking the mickey. And uh, fair enough, sure enough, this bloke was walking up with two kids um, all in camo and, and whatnot. They'd walked for something like four hours or something. They were just dead set stuffed because it's hilly terrain. And the um, yeah, they'd just gone into a patch and got stuck and he had no recovery gear at all. Um, so that was, that was that was so this bloke went out to help him and they went back up to the main road and went in a different way. But when he was out, he got a message from the uh, DPI saying the maps had been updated. And he got a very brief Wi-Fi, 3G, 4G, whatever it was, and was able to update his maps on the DPI hunting app. Now, he came back to camp. Mine still showed that it wasn't. And a lot had changed. Mm. And this was the one that was concerning to me too because he was saying, I'll come and hunt the front area because that's now been opened up. And I went, well, that's not a bad idea because it's been closed for three months, less hunting pressure. Yeah, that sounds good, but my GPS is all the old maps. So I went, I'm not hunting there unless I can update it. So we, I dead set drove for 40 minutes and mm-hmm. found, tried to find every 4G network <laughs> anywhere I could. I eventually updated it and found it, and I, I was able to get the new maps on the DPI so I could hunt there. But I sat there and went, okay, I'm in the forest. I have zero idea. I'm on my own. I go into that section that has been updated and might have been updated for two days and I've been in there for four. Geez, that's a tough one. I get you probably could say, mate, I've been here for four days. Look at the written permission. But it's a tough one for me too because I sort of went, oh, I don't know. Like, I think um, you've done exactly the right thing the whole way through that. You didn't have a written permission to hunt it, so you couldn't hunt it. You went and updated it, so you could absolutely fine. Um, was it a crossover period from um, no. from one one no, corner? It was just a random update. Mid April, I think we were there. I think it oh, happened okay. on about seventeenth so, of yeah. April. I uh, think really weird. Did yeah, one yeah, of any? I'd be interested to know if any of the ground on the original map went away. Did you lose it access, did. or did you only? So you yep. actually lost access. You could have lost been a hunting heap of in... access. Huh? What's nice Man, there's no. It's all native, so there's no pine. Where we were hunting, mm. a heap got taken out. It's it, like a heap got taken away because we were just like, whoa, that is some big chunks there that have been now taken off and a heap of new stuff been added. And that, yeah, it was very weird. That is, I, yeah. I've never experienced that to me, no. to me. I've never experienced a, a non scheduled update. So, like, you know, if you're going to hunt, you know, near the, the end of the quarter, like we did. So, you know, we were hunting the last days of June and the first days of July. We knew that was going to be a challenge to us. Um, but 
DPI put the maps up about a week before the change, and there was significant change. Pretty normal. The only yeah. the only challenge yeah. was was we had the only challenge we had with it was that we had two forests, so we had to have four maps, and the free avenger only lets you have three maps. So we had to. We figured out though you could have the fourth map on there; it just can't be activated. So, you just kind of bought it, yeah. You bought it off. So it. after July one, we removed the old, the up to June thirty maps to to, and that allowed the the fourth map to turn on, which was the two July maps. But I've never mm. had a never had an an update. And to be honest, um, I've only started using the Hunt New South Wales app. So if it if it ha- as it if it's happened in the past, in the last what fifteen years that I've been hunting forests and I've only been carrying the phone for the last year, so I would have missed it because I've got a GPS and it's not you know it's not Wi-Fi, it's yeah, not hooked mine, up or anything. It's I've a had solid, updates, yeah. but they come via text. You get a text yeah. saying go and upload. So <clears> yeah, I haven't. No, missed it, I haven't experienced that. I, wow. I would have. I would have bet. I would have bet the bloody house on the fact that uh, there would have been no lands taken away. Because there's there's conversations that happen frequently when you talk to DPI guys. The forestry want to send workers in to do something. They can rezone a section, but they can't do it. They've got to give appropriate notice to hunters. Mm, I thought they had to right, give like, like that. So I think I think you've experienced the glitch. To be fair, yeah, mate, that's no, really um, interesting. So it'd be worth be worth following it up with DPI and just mm. saying, hey, this is what happened. Um, what you know, what what's the go? Um, they yeah. they did text message, but the problem we had no reception. Yeah, so yeah. so like it was only and a freak they, they occurrence. Mm. Yeah, it was it was that, freak yeah. occurrence that he actually went out to help a bloke and yeah. he found out. Yeah, uh, because That's if really I good. I generally will get into a forest, I won't leave. So I would not have, you know, if I was there on my own for that trip, there was no way I'd know. I think you could mm. definitely argue that one. You, you probably could, but yeah, you know, I mean, well, it's, it's, it's not an argument. Look, I've I've got no yeah. I've, You've got no way of ex- accessing the updated information. Yeah. I think that's cool. The question is why, and then who might have had to go in there to do something that was now at risk, right? That's the mm. that's the question for me. You know, were they sending workers in? Was there something going on? Were they recovering a dozer that got bogged? Who knows what it was that they were doing mm. and why they changed it? But were there now other humans in there that you weren't aware of, which is potentially an issue? But um, mm. Mm. What, what, what I've always wondered about exclusion zones, and again, the last trip made me wonder this aloud, is that there's, so, so there's, you know, you, there's a part of the forest that's being worked on, so it, it's being clear-felled or whatever it is. So there's an, there's, a, there's an obvious reason. So if I look at it, I go, okay, that's obviously an exclusion zone. And the map, you know, tells me that. Okay, don't go in there because there's activity going in there. What I find interesting is it's there's fossickers and they're in there. They're in this work zone. So they're and I don't think they have I don't think they do fossickers have to get a map about where not to go and where to go. But do you think it's do you think that the work zone's shut off for the safety of the visiting person? I think the work zone's shut off because they don't want people shooting rifles around. I thought the work zone was shut off because it's a work zone. And they don't no, want I mean, anyone. In forestry, there, they don't want anyone in there who's not working. I mean, if there's know, forestry, then there's heavy machinery and things. That's like right. That. You know, I, I but, thought, they'll be, they'll, but they'll put signs up saying you can't come in here. Right, well, here road closed or area closed. Yeah, but so Fosca is not going to go in. Well, no, these these. <laughs> well, 
Well, you might think that, but uh, <laughs> it was they were in there with, and I I, I don't understand Foster King because you know I I'm you know, but these guys in the, what looked like in the middle of a cleared fell paddock with picks digging stuff. Maybe they were you know maybe they were looking for you know you were what was it Bangalore? Maybe they were looking for something <laughs> like that. Ivan Malat. That's why they're looking for you know memorabilia of Ivan Malat. I don't know, but yeah, I thought that's a work zone. It tells me that's a work zone. I'm going to keep away with it. Yeah, no, no. I understand that the question is that I might be a, I might be a risk to the people working in there. But in the same instance, you know, you don't generally you're not allowed to walk through a work zone. You know, you can't walk through a construction site. You can't walk through. You just can't go. Well, I look. I, I live over but there. Hang on. I'm just going through the construction site. But 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 hang on. Just because you can walk through it, even if it is an exclusion zone. That's it. I mean, yeah, you can yeah. walk through it. Yeah. So why couldn't a fossick sit down and pick up rocks? That, that's right. I, so you I, can I go feel in like there. Not allowed in there because we've got right. They don't want us in there because we've got rifles. And yeah, it's a I, danger to, the, to that, them. Not I can. Order. I can kind of. I you know. I concur that that there's there's that's a that's a potential risk. But I would have thought from a purely from a health and safety point of view that a work zone was a work zone, and they don't want people in a work zone who should you know who are not working in that work zone. Mm. Yeah, I mean, these yeah. Foskers were, 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 they weren't just like some guy, you know, with a stick digging. There was a crew of them in there busily working away. Three or four vehicles digging stuff up. In a, I don't know. I would have, I, they were digging up stuff that I thought, you know, I would not have guessed that you would have dug stuff up. As I said, I don't understand the process of what they were doing, but they were digging stuff up. And well, I was not surely looking for gold, but you'd expect yeah. to creeks not in the middle of a but there was there the wasn't in the creek they were in, yeah, a, in the pine you know, flat yeah so <laughs> what's in there yeah. so i mean that's i've always kind of shaken you know went oh, okay sure i understand mm. the firearm component but i don't understand the access to a work zone component was it belanglo this is the interesting someone asked me the other day have i put any trail cameras up in there and i've gone <laughs> well no i haven't because i scared of ghosts Um, i i said i don't the way it it gets booked out super quick there's two spots it's weekday only so you know like the chances of me getting there are very slight in school holidays and that's all you know it's generally booked up very very quickly would that mean i can't go in there because as far as the permission that i've got from forestry is that you can only go in there if you've got a reason is getting a trail cam a reason well that you know, you've. I don't think it is. So I'm sort of sitting there going, I don't want to put them in there, and then I can't book in because sometimes they have for you know two and a half months. I can't book in, and I'm like, oh. There's some well, a couple of times this, this part. Are you not allowed in there if you're general so, public? So it got flooded. So when we got hit with the floods down here in Sydney, I mean, um, where I live, what they said it was a, a once in a hundred year flood that happened twice. Oh, um, I'm up to my fourth. <laughs> Oh, it's crazy. But it was in a, within two months or whatever it was. So the roads got absolutely totaled. Yeah. And they that was the main reason is they didn't want his his reasoning was they don't want general traffic mm-hmm. going on the roads. So he basically said you have permission to drive straight to the area you want to hunt, and that is it. Hmm. So from me taking that going, okay, like you can't even drive around to sort of scope it out, even though you, you, got, you got permission there. He just wants you to drive straight in park and then you're good. I went, well, they're not going to let you go in to get your trail cameras or to scout if you haven't got, you know, not even take the bow in, just go in to scout. You 
that's off the cards. Unless you were to park where you're allowed and then walk all the way in, I'd be guessing yeah. maybe. But it yeah. was a... Oh, no, again, there's just a lot of grey areas, and I, I don't like operating in the grey. I like to be very black and white. I mean, I've got a safe inspection coming up. That's the first one I, I can't sort of wait yeah. because, um, well, mate, I've got a you know the the hundred and fifty odd kilo safe, and um, I don't have that many rifles in it, <laughs> so I'm, I'm well and truly above just because you know I, I hate. You know, I had a mate that said they they mo- tried to move the safe and they felt like it moved a, a mill and said no, nah, not secure. And I just went, oh, I don't want to, I don't mm. want that to happen to me. And he, he, he ended up, you know, the guns went back to the, the police station, and there was a massive oh, rigmarole to go oh, back. Wow. Yeah. And and he said, literally, he, he's a builder by trade, and he'd uh, he'd dynabolted and chem set the dynabolts into the ground. He said it wasn't moving, but the the officer felt that it was moving. And yeah, sometimes they've got weak, weak bases. So the chem set, could, you can could, still could the, you can still bend the steel on the base. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, steel. That, that 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 would take some doing, especially if it's bolted to the wall as well. That's what that would take mm. some doing. Yeah, I, yeah you can, but it was so. Did that Incredible Hulk come and maybe he's on moved. steroids and yeah. uh, Robocop. <laughs> Mind you, I know Robocop. a couple. Rage cop decided, yeah, I can make Wait. this move. <laughs> a couple of my mates are the police. I'll tell you what, geez, they're, they're units. So like, yeah. they're, they're pushing 50 and they do. you should see what they're doing in CrossFit and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I just sit there and look at them and go, oh, okay. Maybe he was out there inspecting. I don't know. But. <laughs> I, I look, I've never had a problem with the, I've had a couple yeah, of them same. over the years. And, you know, like I actually got a, a, a funny story about one. So I had the, so a number of years ago, my eldest was still at, um, uh, he was at his prep. So year before, you know, so four, four gun on five, had the inspection. They rang up, you know, had this really blurry message on the, and I called the cop station and said, Hey, look, I've just got this call. I don't know what's about. And they said, Oh, but yeah, it's a bad inspection. Sure. Okay. Sure. I said, look, I'll be home when you want me there. And they said, oh, you know, and I said, they were a bit, a bit taken aback. And I said, you tell me when you want to be there. And I said, oh, can we come over today? I said, sure, no problem. So I get over there. Um, I just opened up, gave them the key, said, what do you want to do? And they just said, oh, well, you just, just here's, here's the list. And I said, I looked at the list and I said, the list is wrong. And they go, why? And I said, well, that one's sold, that one's bought. And I said, have you got proof? And I said, sure. So I got up and went, here's all the, you know, all the slips. And went okay. So then they just did the inspection by looking at serial number and you know what was on the thing, and then no problem. They they just they were there. They were gone. They were chatty. There's an older guy, younger guy. The older guy was more chatty. On the way out, they um, my my wife and my, my son come in the door, and the uh, baby at the time, our eight year old, was a baby at times, asleep upstairs, and my eldest shushes the cops. He goes, shh, you woke up my brother. And everyone has a little giggle about that, you know. And they give him this little sticker, like, you know, junior police detective sticker. And it fits perfectly on a, uh, you know, a lanyard card. So I got a lanyard card. So we stuck it on this thing. So it looks, and he's got it around his neck. So he's got a little badge. He goes to prep the next day, wearing this thing. Proudest punch. And he goes, and then supposedly the teacher goes, oh, what's that? And he goes, he goes, oh, Police gave this to my dad when he came over to talk about all his guns. You know? 
And, and when I went to pick him up prep, they kind of went, oh, I said an interesting thing today. And we said, oh, yeah, what did he say? Yeah. <laughs> that's about I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty much true. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so that, that for me, they've always been easy peasy, please. But, I mean, I've heard some horror stories, but I, I haven't experienced them myself. So I don't know. I, I, I would assume that with a hundred and fifty kilo safe, unless you know, a Hulk 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 officer comes over, I would assume that's going to be well. That that's that's over oh, the weight yeah. that doesn't require to, to bolting down. Yeah. yeah, I've got that, and I've got all the paperwork for it to say yeah. hey, it doesn't need to be bolted down. Yeah. So like, here's everything here. But again, it's that me just going above and beyond because I just. Yeah. You know, from, 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 right. from my it's profession it. and just the, you know, just in general, like, you know, setting the example and, and talking mm. about what we need to do because, you know, down here in Sydney, it's a bit different. Living in the city, when you talk about these things, it's just alien to people. Mm. And, you know, you see mm. the, the, the concern in their eye that, oh, you, you shoot and they, yeah. they just don't, they're not exposed to it. And they it's don't, amazing. It, it, they it, don't get it's it. It's truly amazing. Cause it, it is. It's in, one one lifetime before there would have been it would have been completely normal for people to be out shooting pigeons and rabbits yep. living in sydney and eating that game it would have been yeah. completely normal well look mark look at those posts this week with the Maya center yeah Maya center yeah. 1964 coming to a newly you know newly opened expanded firearms apartment on the first floor and come and talk to our ex our firearms expert here at mm. Maya. You know, it wasn't that long ago you could jump on the train or a bus with, with the rifle, you know, and, and geez, like imagine the panic that, mm. uh, that happens. I think there was, a, there was an incident down here at Mount Druitt the other day and um, someone pulled, I think they pulled out like a, a cap gun or something like that. Or I think it was young kids and it sent uh, the Westfields into lockdown and people were running like sprinting and running like crazy. And it was a bit, it's a big chaos thing that's on the news and it's, um, it, yeah, it's so different. There's, there's a real fear about firearms mm. and mm. it's, you know, I, I covered a lot of my podcasts because I've really concerned, like I've just had, you know, newborn twins or I shouldn't say that they've hit a, hit the one mark, but um, I, I'm really nervous. They're never going to be able to hunt and they're never going to be able to get out into the bush into the same capacity that I am. And I'm Aboriginal. So for me, there's a cultural connection. I do, you know, I want to do things that my ancestors did. Yes, I'm doing it differently, but I really want to, you know, I, I always feel at home in the bush and I want my kids to be able to experience that. And it makes me more nervous every time I see how disconnected we are getting as a society and how do we fix that? Mm. And that concerns me. Not, yep. I, I don't uh, know the answers and I don't know God. Yeah. how. Mm. But we need to do something and we need to, we need to be really trying to change the narrative. And, you know, it's, it's concerning and it's worrying. And I have so many conversations where I had, I had one with the person that didn't understand the ribs they buy from the supermarket are the same as the ribs on an animal. Yeah, that's right. yeah. <laughs> that was, I, I, I just, how do you, you sort of sit there and go, it's, it's something funny, but it's really scary that this is an adult and they have zero idea. And that, how, do you, how do you get them and how do you talk to them? And, you know, I've got one, one of my podcasts will come out before this one, but talking about social media and talking about, you know, I don't know, maybe you guys know, but does double S double A or any of the bodies have TikTok? 
because that's probably something that needs to happen because that's where the young kids are learning about all these things. And if we're not capturing new hunters and people and we're not getting them involved in the sport and our numbers dwindle or the numbers stay the same because it's only people passing it down to because they're already involved in it, that I, th- I feel is dangerous. I feel that's where we lose numbers, we lose ground especially migration is, is a big thing in this country and people coming in with no experience, with no connection to people and, and it's a hard slog. You know, I've got multiple mates I got into hunting and they got, out just, they got out of hunting just as quick because they came to state forests and it wasn't easy and they couldn't mm-hmm. get private access and they went, yeah. I'm done. But it's not, you know? I mean, and you talk about migration, but you've got people migrating to Australia from places like, New Zealand or South Africa in my case, I know people who've moved over and, you know, in South Africa hunting is a, is a huge part of their life and they get here and it's so difficult to get a license. It's so yeah. difficult to find somebody to, get, to go hunting that they, they give up on it. So they've lost, you know, generational hunters have now lost that because it's so difficult to do. And that's what we, you know, we try and, and, and help hunters where we can, but it's certainly very difficult to get your first firearms license, especially if you're renting, if you're, if you if you is don't it? have permanent residence, it is it is. If you don't have permanent residence and things like that, it's quite hard to get firearms licenses. Yeah, I, I I get that. And if you're renting um, in a house, when I first arrived, yeah, we rented a house, and my landlord said, "No, you could never stay." So what do I do? Yeah, you know. Yep, I understand that. If you don't yeah. have safe storage, you can't get a license. So mm. that was a, you know a year of my life where I couldn't have a firearm. To your point, Matt, um, I'm not quite sure what the answer is either. There's we we do a I, I think we do as a podcast community or as social community do a reasonable job of um, talking to the converted. You know, people are tuning in because they already like what we're doing and what they're doing and they want to learn more. Um, it's expanding that into the masses that um, don't, <clears throat> don't have a problem with it but don't have a voice either way and, and trying to get them onto the positive side of the story. Um, it is a very difficult thing with the, with the large organisations quite separate. Um, I think, Mark, you wouldn't remember this conversation. I can't remember the exact stats, and I don't think you will either, but the general statement when we spoke to um, some of the larger bodies was the sport is actually growing. There are a lot yeah, of people look, getting into it. It's in is, a healthy situation. Yeah. But it's still those There's, people over here that it would be great to have them alongside us, even though they're not shooters, they're not antis. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it has to do with perspective too. Um, so I've been in, been involved with this for for a few years now, and I was so I I, I went through ninety six, and because I was a lefty, and I didn't have much money, everything I owned was naughty. After um, <laughs> it was legal, and it, it became illegal. Because I had pump-action shotguns, semi-automatic rifles, okay? They just became illegal. Um, there's two things. I had a lever action. That stayed legal. Um, that was it. So overnight, I went from having stuff to having nothing. And um, I think what happened was what Port Arthur did for a lot of people, and I was one of them, is you went, I accept something has to happen. That was such an event that something has to happen. And I think there was this social contract made, or we assumed it was a social contract, was that if we take it on the chin, 
you know, if if we do something and they'll, you know, it's okay, you've done something, and then it'll kind of, you know, it'll blow up. It, things will get changed. You'll take it on the chin. There'll be tightening up. You'll have a little bit of inconvenience, but it'll kind of return to to normal. Yeah. But what happened was, and this is what I feel, was that um, those who were anti-gun saw it as a chance to keep punching and kept punching and kept punching and kept punching and kept going. And so you became a potential mass murderer and then you became a potential terrorist and you then became a potential this and you become, a, and you know, and, and you're a redneck and you're this and you're that. And they just kept punching. And I think for most people it took about 10 years, but they said, oh, I'm fucking had enough of this. I'm going to start punching back. And then you started to get, you know, a swing in the, the politics of it. People actually mm. said, look, you know, and so, and I mean, and that, that's not perfect timing. There's other timing, you know, the shooters, fishers, farmers were happening before that, but there was a, there's kind of now a, a little bit of a polarization where certain polys will say, well, you know, we support this and stuff like that. Unfortunately, it's dri driven, it's divided by the the left right, I think, which is a terrible thing. Cause I, I don't, you know, I don't think who you vote for once every three years should really determine what kind of person you are. But anyway, but so what happened was there was a significant downturn in ownership because um, people who had guns went, this is just too hard. You know, I got granddad's Slashinger in the cupboard. I'm just going to give it up and that's it. And that mm -hmm. was it. So people who had some exposure to firearms, they, that firearm went away. And so that exposure is lost. And as people grew up in that house, there was no linkage to firearms. Conversely, those who kept on, became more involved. So now, you know, when you and I, when all of us talk about hunting, we talk at a pretty deep level because it's it's our stuff. We're really into this, you know. This could, you know, we could be car collectors or whatever. We're right into this thing. So we've got we've got a lot, a lot of skin in the game. So then, you know, this whole thing about I don't want to break any rules. Why? Because I've got so much skin in the game. I've got lots mm -hmm. to lose here. So people who now hunt and shoot are far more committed to hunting than shooting than generally for, before because we've become enthusiasts hmm. there's also a group i think of people who actually um and maybe covid was a trigger for this who actually want to hunt or who want to who want to be more self-sufficient and they see hunting as a mechanism of self-sufficiency maybe that's a better way to shoot it and they see shooting as a part of that mechanism so they're more interested in the self-sufficiency and and being more resilient and and understanding things like that and so firearms is a is a means to the end so like, you know, and I, and when we're talking about, you know, Ian, John, O and I, I tend to think, you know, and Ian says this, John and I can have a conversation about calibers that will might last for four days. <laughs> and Ian will kind of go, shut up and just walk away from it. You know, so some of us are kind of a little bit, bit you know, idiot savant with a lot, not much savant, a lot, lot of idiot involved. And, um, you know, and some of us are just kind of look at it from a point of view, a different point of view. but. I think a lot of people, and there's a lot of people out there who who want to know more. So I actually think that there's actually, a, it's not declining in terms of potential. I think the decline will come if that potential is not is not realised. Because cultures die, not because of people participate in them, because you can't participate in them. You're either you, you're locked out of it or whatever reason, things die because they, they wither on the vine. 
So a hunting culture and a hunting lifestyle requires people to hunt. And this is my argument against what this is. Daisy, you know, me know I argue pretty hard about this in Queensland. You know, you can't build a culture if you can't participate. In New South Wales and Victoria, there's a hunting culture. Why? Because you can participate. You can be part of it. So I think if we can help people on that journey, then we build we build depth. We build we build culture. We get we start to have conversations that aren't so. Oh shit! I can't talk about the fact that I'm going to give you a you know a deer. It's venison meat. You know, I think we 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 go past that by building a culture around that, and by that you got to participate. So if if you're involved, if you really like hunting, the best thing you can do is get someone who doesn't hunt interested in hunting. They don't have to be the end up being the best hunter. If you just get them started, and look, and every guy, as you said, you've helped people get started and they've gone it too hard and they left. Well, that's what they were going to do anyway. But every person you can get who's sticky, who goes, you know what, this is really interesting. This is me. I've discovered new parts about myself. They're advocates. They go buy. They go buy stuff. They like you know. They wear camo hats, you know, <laughs> all that stuff, and that becomes part of their lifestyle. So I'm actually more, I suppose, positive about our potential, but I also worry about where my boys will be. I do worry um, about that. I'd counteract that in sure. two things. I'd say I agree with you in the sense that it might be growing in. Older people, I don't feel like I look at the stats from from a sporting perspective, and I see how all sports are tapering off with the younger generation. Mm. They just don't play sport. Mm. They're too involved in their tech. They're too involved with their phones. Like you, you speak to kids nowadays, and you grab their phone and look at the screen time, and it's thirteen hours a day. Mm. And that's that's the the concern I have is that the people I know getting into it are you know mid twenties and older. Yeah. Now that's that's has a growth level, which I agree with you, but I don't feel that the younger generation are getting involved as much. And that's not just what we do. That's not just our sport, whether it be shooting, hunting, the like. That's across the board. That's across if you go, you know, I go I grew up playing a, a multitude of different sports and you go to athletics now, and that was one of my favorite things to do as a kid, go to Little A's on a Friday night, it's dead. Oh, but okay. So this is, this is the difference is that maybe it's the, the, the city versus the, the country. Cause you know, I, I can tell you now the, the amount of schools that, you know, I, I get four or five kids for the swimming carnival. Oh, um, that's it. That's, that's it. So like, it's my concern is that it's going to the younger generation is not going to have that attachment. They will, if they've got parents in it. Yeah, and I think you make a good yeah. point saying that some, you know, I, I do feel that older people are getting into it, and hey, I hope they drag their kids into it too, and that could, you know, really be positive going forward. But I, I just don't know that. That's what scares me. I don't know if we're doing a good enough job to, to target the younger generation coming through to try and light that fire because we, as as you said, people are going to come and they're going to go. That's like all hobbies, but there's going to be a lot of people that come, love it, and stick to it. But are we not capturing a new a new audience as well? That that's the only thing I view it from, and and it's like data. That's what I said. Like data, you can manipulate data to to say what you'd like. Um, I'd love to see and break that down and see the age groups that are that yeah. are you know our, our sport is growing in because I think that would be very telling as well. Yeah, a, um, I mean, just, 
there's, there's a thing they do really well in New Zealand. Obviously, New Zealand's got a great hunting culture. It's accepted. You know, if you're a farmer and you need to go and buy a jacket uh, for the farm, then it's probably going to be a camo one because you multi-purpose it. So when you're going down and doing the shopping in the rain, you're wearing camo. It's just normal. No one even thinks twice about it. But they do a really good thing in their communities. And almost all of these little towns down there, they have a hunting competition where you've got to grab a kid and go and shoot this, that, and the other and weigh them in. And, you know, they make it, it's not just about the hunt, it's competition. You know, they get to brag with their mates. The neighbor's doing it with his kid, you're doing it with your kid. We don't do any of that sort of stuff here. Um, I noticed the other day on socials, I can't remember who's running it, but there's the fox hunt competition mm. that got launched the other day. Have you seen that, Matt? I know there's a William Williams Fox shoot that happened. No, no, there's, a, there's a new one. Fox, Fox, Star, Fox <laughs> Knight or Zach something. Like yeah, that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Someone saw it. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, it'll be a national Fox drive with a bunch of prizes thrown at it. Really cool. But you know, to your point, grab a kid. But in saying that, in this country or in Queensland anyway, they can't touch a rifle. The the younger demographic you're talking about. They can't touch a rifle. In Queensland, the only way an unlicensed shooter is allowed to touch a rifle is at a range with a range officer. You can't go out on your farm. Yeah. You can't do any of that. So our, our ability to, to drag these people in has become really difficult as well. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not, through, it's not the desire that's lacking. It's, it's, is it a strategy? Know, wow, far out. It's, do you want to deep dive into that? <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, everything's so, against it. So... Yeah. So next year, my boy can get the junior or the miner's license, so which means he can operate a firearm. He can't own one, um, and he can only op- te- technically the miner license only applies to ranges. There is some um, in the legislation about if you're using it in an agricultural sense, but for majority of the time, it's for ranges. So you know that's part of the, I you know that's that's. Our, I suppose my approach is to bring him up into that, but my other son's not that interested, so he might not be interested. But I, I think that's part of the you know the discovery of of these things. I think also to um, I know it's important that you know you do bring younger people in it, but I th- also think there's a changing demographic in terms of the way people people approach things too. So I'm again I'm not too concerned that we don't have any you know, pre-teens involved. Um, but I, you know, because, you know, one, we live a lot longer, so we're not falling off the purchase week. <laughs> and, you know, there, there is, I suppose there's, there's, there's kind of natural or not natural, but there's barriers to hunting. So one is, you know, you've got to be able to hunt on land. So you've got to be able to, and for most people, if that's public land, you've got to be able to get to it and things like that. And you've got to have a license and you've got to have these things. So it may not be the, the, the kind of sport ever that you're, you know, it's a kind of sport that you get into it at a certain age. Um, but I think the other important thing is, and Matt, you, you know, you've referenced a couple of times is that that idea of, um, you know, someone brings you into it. Well, for a lot of people that I know, that's not the case. It's it's been self discovery for them, so they've discovered it. You know, they've they it's it's and that's happened when they're older. You know, so they they've kind of got to the stage where they kind of go, I'm kind of know what I'm interested in, but I'm also interested in this thing, so I'm going to go through a discovery stage. And a lot of people that we talk to are in that discovery stage, mm-hmm. so they don't they don't actually have 
the background. They don't have an uncle or anything like that. And I've, I've written, ex, you know, extensively about that because I didn't have that. Mine was... No, either do I. I, no, I, didn't, I didn't, there was so, no, there's no nothing. In fact, um, my probably family would have, you know, especially my, my mother would have been dead against what I do. So, so there was never, so it was a, it was a discovery stage. So I think that's also a really strong thing because generally when people are discovering things, they're over 18, they've got a bit of money in their hand and they're voters too, which is really important. So I, again, I, I, I agree. I, I don't know how to, how to create a funnel, as it were, other than just demonstrate, you know, the participation with your kids. The other thing is too, that's really interesting is that we're, you know, I suppose culturally we're speaking to more and more people cross-culturally about hunting. That's a really mm-hmm. interesting thing. So, you know, there's been, there's a couple of guys that I think of, you know, that, you know, co- cross-culturally, very different lives, they have a different approach to things, but hunting is, is something that, you know, immediately jumps that cultural barrier and all of a sudden it's, it's you know, it's a real shared culture, which is also very interesting about people coming to Australia. You know, they're, they're bringing that with them. It's part of their culture. So. Mm. It's, I think it's a um, it's contested ground. I think we've got and we've uh, got. I think we've got to pursue. We've got to pursue it. Uh, yeah, it's a multifaceted issue. At the mm. end of the day, there's so uh, there's a lot of positives going on. I, I completely agree, and there are some things that concern me. And I just sit here and go, mm, I wonder what what do we need to do? What do we need to? How do we attract? more because it, it's a numbers game at the end of the day the you know i said all the time look at what's happening as soon as the bow hunting thing came out in south australia you know georgie purcell jumped on it for victoria trying to push that through yeah, and, well, and raise it and it's that's because politicians are grubs exactly oh, no, no, and that's, not all of them some no some no are. some are good but, but that's <laughs> the thing i think we we right, need yeah. to be mindful of that going forward and, and there is a lot of good work being done out there hmm. it's uh yeah no it's, it's an interesting topic to me it's something that i always love it and i i'm very big on trying to find out the holes in my argument i love having an argument with someone more to find out where the gaps in my thought process are and maybe adjust what i think or find a different reasoning or to to be able to say hey no i I still feel this way but here's my sort of what i would say back to that so Mm. yeah it's an interesting one Yeah, I, I, I think, I'm, um, of the, I'm of the Oscar Wilde school, mate. I might be laying in the gutter, but I'm looking at the stars. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I tend to I think it's, uh, it's, an, it's, an, it's a really important subject. I think our major organisations can probably do more by banding together. You hear this all of the time. They're fairly, you know, they act in silos a lot, um, but that's just the nature of it. Um, mm. Individually, if you're trying to protect it, you've got to promote it to people you know. You know, um, I, I don't know how many hunters, uh, how many non-hunters, now enjoy coming over and having venison for dinner. Have people requesting yeah. it. Yeah, you know, cool. Free you know, Tell them it's, it's illegal in Queensland for me to give you that venison. It doesn't happen. You're not allowed. I'm not allowed yeah, to give it to a yeah. friend. I'm not allowed to give it to the neighbour. I'm not allowed to give it to family. It has to be consumed on my property, um, mm. of the on the property of the hunter by law. Sure, people break those rules, um, but there are loads of people that are around my you know, orbit um, mm. that had nothing to do with it before that now appreciate it and uh, they respect that that's what I do and they inquire about it to see how I went. So everyone can do that. You know, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm no one special in that in that sort of um, arena and it's just about talking about it. I talk about it at work. I work for a large corporation. Um, everyone knows I do it. People ask about it all the time and it's yeah. not taboo and I don't let it be. 
Um, I don't think we need to be scared about it. You don't need to hide it. It's completely legal. Uh, as long as you've yeah, probably hard to go into work and charge, blazed away on, you know, 1,200 pigs on the weekend, left them in the <laughs> paddock. That's a different conversation to, you know, I drove eight hours and I walked everywhere and I, you know, shot mm. our deer and I brought it back and I feed my family with it. Um, you know, that's a pretty wholesome story. Food is yeah. a good enabler yeah. for conversation. And I think the other thing is too is you you if you really want something to 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 survive and flourish is it's got to be part of your voting patterns too. Mm. You've got to say, okay, I've got to actually think about this. From I mean, I, I, I you know I think about hunting when I vote because it's that important to me. So I've got to think about, and, and I might not have options, or my options might be very limited. But I've got to actually think about that from a voting point of view, because ultimately, it will, you know, the the the, um, the challenge it will face will be political. So I've got to think, I've got to think politically. I've got to think, okay, I've got to protect what I want here, you know. And you know, to Ian's point, you know, I do think you can have the conversation with other people. You just got to have it in the right way. I like. Um, I wrote a, a, a an article not a couple of months ago. Like one of the dads at school said, "Hey, you're that guy from the SSAA magazine." And yeah, he's 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 a hunter. The I was at on target, my favourite gun shop, and the girl who who serves me coffee at the local, she's at the gun shop with her dad and her brother because they hunt on a private property. So it's actually quite amazing how many people you come across who do it, but we generally tend not to talk too much about it because of the, the connotations of it. But I think having the conversation is good. My boy did a presentation last week, and the last slide was why hunting is good. He's 10 years old. Yeah, my, my boy's taken some of my deer skulls. Yeah, well, he did. He, took, he, had to do a, he took the, the uh, feral pig skull. Yeah. <clears throat> so he did things about feral pigs, you know, yeah. like, and I, and I mm-hmm. kind of, Called up Nettie Macon's site, you know, and kind of nudged him. Have a look over here, and um, some some of the information. And the last last slide was why hunting is good, and I thought, you know, and he was, and that was well received at school and stuff like that. And I, no, my you know, son, with nine cases, taking a fellow caller, a grunter, and rattling antlers in. That's his show and tell. Tell tells the class how Daddy smacks them together to bring the real bucks in to get shot. Um, I, think it's, it. I love it. Uh, I don't think we should shy that's away from it. I don't, have, it. I don't think it has to be gory. It doesn't have to be, you know, you've, no, you've got to appeal no, to the people no, you're talking story. to, but nothing wrong with it. Like it's, yeah. uh, the amount of people we show some no. of the videos of the trips that we've done, you know, when you, when you run over to New Zealand and hop in a chopper and subsistence live almost on your way out, shoot a deer, you catch some trout, you know, you survive on what it is you're doing. You're not out there to shoot everything that moves. You might only shoot one or two animals while you're there. Um, mm. But the corporate people, they're like, man, how do I get a piece of that? How do I get it? How much is that going to cost me mm. to come on that trip? And, you know, I'm not really hunting. I'm just eating food, you know, and catching a trout. And they yeah. sort of they look at those two things as the same. We need food for camp. So we're going to go and get it. That's what this trip is all about. And they love it. Just absolutely want to be part of it. And they're not hunters. But all of a sudden, you've captured their imagination about adventure and all of the fun and camaraderie. Hunt camp's the same. People show up to that thing because they just want to be amongst people that, you know, are, are real and they're in the bush and they're having a good time, whether they want to participate in the hunting or not. So yeah. have a chat. Well, 
That Nundle last trip we took, good mate Graham came with us. He's not, he's a non-hunter. He just, he just, I said, mate, you just want to come to camp, and he said, yeah, I do. So that was it. You know, it was about him coming in, being part point. of that camp. He was with us. The, you know, the five days he went out every, every, every time we went out, he walked, did the case, spent money on hunting clothes. You know, he, he loved it, and um, it was, you know, he, but he's a non-hunter. You know, Darcy's bending his ear about, oh, you need this, you need that. And he's talking about rifles and stuff like that. But um, he was a non-hunter. And I think what I – so I think that's really important part to it too because, you know, there's always going to be people who are going to, who are going to hate you, you know, and you can't do anything about those people. You know, they just they just hate you. you got all the people who are, who are you know, are on your team that you, you, you all wear the same uniform. There's a great many people in the middle – that and you've got to influence and you know again quoting Ned Macon, he, he describes it have the social license. If those people think what you do is reasonable, then you've got political power. If they think what you do is unreasonable, then you don't have political power. So, influencing people in a wider in a in a in a wider audience is really important, and it's influencing them in a positive way about what you do. They might not want to participate, but they then think, okay, what you do is reasonable, if not interesting, if not maybe, you know, mm. something even more again. The dialogue yeah, around the dialogue around <laughs> cancel culture um, works well as well. You know, there, there are maybe people that don't want anything to do with hunting, but they're absolutely sick of all of these things being cancelled by mm. someone because they're offended. And when that conversation happens and you bring hunting into that discussion about another part of that, all of a sudden you're an ally because the conversation's about, you know, cancel culture. It's not about hunting itself. You're just part of that problem, you know, or you're part of the affected or impacted. I think that's quite a good way to do it. Hmm. I think, yeah. I think you mentioned there, Mark, about like the advocacy side of it. And I think that's been probably an area that's grown so much with like all the new podcasts has been two, two new ones coming out in the last, I think week, which or, or announced that's fantastic. You mm. know, the more, the more content out there that's out there in a positive manner is a win. And hundred yes. percent agree because, Definitely. you know, I, I said it to, to Lawson White, I had him on mine and said, Hey, I've got no issue with, with, you know, other podcasters coming on mine because if they like you better than me and they're listening and you get someone involved, that's a win. Mm. Uh, you know, that's, you know, that's, you're not my enemy. You're, you're, you're on my team, as you just said, that's, you know, that's a win because there's going to be people that don't like the sound of me or what I talk about and, and vice versa. As long as they're listening to someone and, and all this content, all these different people and, and pushing things out, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And I think tech is something that's great for that. And, you know, it's been really good to see that grow as well because I remember listening to the Australian hunting podcast. That was sort of the only one that was sort of in Australia for a very, like for a while or the one, only one that I knew about anyway. And that was it. So when you look now, geez, it's great. Hmm. I think two, hmm. six, episode 216 is the best one. Are you on there, where? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. It might have to go back. I think it's 216. I made that number up. But it's a long way. To, I was on a long time ago. But look, about that point about, you know, podcasts and, and stuff like, and, you know, content, you know, it used to be called the food court mentality where, you know, the more you get types of food in one location, the better everyone does. It's it's not competition. It's just like, mm. so then people mm. can go, oh, we can all go here because I can get this and you can get that and you can get this and we can get that. If it, if you're trying to be the one big, big shop in town, then, you know, you, you're, working on, you're working on a competition model. So 
I'm always keen to see new podcasts or new content and things like that because the you know it's it, well the you know the the new model is the f- the food truck model or the you know or or the food street model. But the more that there's variety, but basically mm. it's all pushing in the same direction. The more people mm. you attract, or someone will mm. go look. I don't like that one, but I really like these guys, or you know, or vice versa. Yeah, that positive <laughs> message as you know. Yeah. So I think they there was a stat out there saying that. Most people that listen to podcasts, they listen to about eight a week. Mm. You know, if they're listening wow. to eight different hunting podcasts, that's a win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or they're listening well, to, and I think the interesting thing about podcasts is you, you, know, you yeah, hear other crazy. people. And I mean, that's why, you know, you, 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 you know, with a podcast, you can introduce people to other podcasts. Oh, it goes right. you, know, you, can, yeah. you can kind of you know, say, oh, well, okay, well, look, I heard that guy. I like him. I'll go looking for his podcast now. Mm. Just things like that. So I think that. that's that's mm. that's also a really positive part of it. So for me, the more people talking about it, the more people having a positive message and also, but also their own messages. I think that, you know, there's 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 a hell of a lot of room for different different approaches. And one, yeah. of, I think one of the problems that we suffer from is that we get this, this is the only way of doing something. That, that, that's just crazy to me. Well, look, I love my tech and I listened to your one last, I think it was last week when we were recording this is for the Zolio. Oh, and yeah. now I'm, oh, yeah. oh, well, now I'm super keen. I, I, I'll be honest, you a link. I never heard uh, of it. Affiliate link. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I will. No, more than happy to. Do it through, I, yeah. Yeah. Do it through oh, Amazon, mate. So, so, I, uh, so I actually, coin. I was on one of the Facebook groups. So I, I mentioned someone, they asked about the GPS or PLBs or whatever. And I said, listen, I just heard this on, on your mm podcast jump over have a listen it's their latest one on the zolio it sounds fantastic mm-hmm. i don't know that much about it but now my ears are perked up and when i hear about new tech i like to research you yeah. know, my little backside off because i love I'm learning about it um it sounded awesome i'm super oh, keen now awesome. to, to just unpack <laughs> it when you started talking about <laughs> electronic oh. earbuds i'm like oh where do I get those from? Because oh, I've been yes. looking at the electronic huh? buds that you lost. Actual yeah. GS Extremes. Oh. Yeah. Man, they're Forever so good. I'm them. so glad I found them. They've actually got a new set now that it's so just what are pops they? They're, in. They're like... they're like the, you know, the Sens digital ones, the ones that actually mold and then amplify yeah. your hearing yeah, and yeah, things yeah. like that. And then yeah. they just cut it out at 85. These <laughs> ones are the same, but they work on like a little compression bud. And now they're, they're 120 US dollars. Oh, so um, they're just a, a so you, you're squ- you're, like it's I've, still you you compress, but mate, they are. Because mm, um, I took them know, to the range the other day. Standard yeah, electronic yeah. earmuff, so you know they cut out the sound or actually yeah. amplify the sound. Well, but, well, they do the same, but mm, these are just, just tiny things again. that cook in, and they just got a little lanyard that goes that you turn on and off and change your volume. I took them to the range the other day and just went, oh, what have I been doing with the earmuffs? Um, so good, and now they've got a new set. That, doesn't even have the lanyard. You just literally, it's a, it's like the thing. Yeah, that's what I use them for. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I used to brilliant. say, eh, you I'm know, I'm always what? worried about my hearing. Well, I always have been worried about my hearing, but um, my hearing's fine. I don't have a problem with it. Uh, and you know, for the few, like I'd go on maybe eight or ten hunts a year, and I might shoot an animal. One round going off once a month. It's not really going to kill my hearing. Um, I don't think, but I'm no doctor. Um, no. But now we're doing a lot more. Like doing a lot more hunting, you know, we're purposefully doing a lot more hunting, and we've been given a, a whole bunch of uh, reasons to go and do a lot more hunting. Um, I'm letting more rounds off, 
I'm sighting in more rifles. We're playing with more ammo. We're doing stuff. Uh, now I'm shooting more. I, I want those. I want the buds, but I'm always in the moment. It used to be I'm always in the moment. I never get to push think the about it. Camera. Yeah. Now I've got my brain wired to be camera first, rifle second. I've got to start to protect hearing. I'm also thinking about the same thing for the dog. I'm trying to figure out how to get that. There's a thing called mm. mutt muffs um, that go on your dog to protect yeah. its hearing because I don't really want to blow hearing drums out either. Um, most dog handlers <laughs> say, ah, it's not a problem. Don't worry about it. But I don't believe that for a second. Um, the hearing's pretty sensitive. So, anyway, they're the things. I love the tech. It's good. Get the Zolio. It's worth it. It's a pleasure. That is awesome. <laughs> I, I definitely, I'm, uh, I'm very keen. I, uh, I'm just about to dip my foot into thermal, so that's something I'm super excited about. Yeah. Um, grab a little thermal inocular, and I, uh, I heard all the infrared. I think infrared was with your, your campfire. I'm spewing. I didn't get to that one to, to have a play yep. with those things. Yeah, but, pretty, uh, pretty special. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We got a few I've different. Paris, Paris is good. I just got sent, sent the Zeiss by um, OSA. Is it OSA? To, yep. to review. OSA. And that this one's really interesting because it's actually got interchangeable lenses. Ah, I've never seen this before. So it's a different lens. So it's mm. kind of like a spotting scope in that sense. I want so the infrared I'm, snap on. I'm Just really interested in how that scale. goes. Snap on, not strap on. Snap on. <laughs> you get banned again on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, like that. And uh, the other weird, th- and the other weird thing about his eyes. Thing, the other thing about weird thing about the Zeiss is it uses an external rechargeable battery. So yeah, the um the Burris that I've got there has got external rechargeable battery. Yeah, the, the monocular doesn't. It's an internal. Yeah, yeah. So you know you can, so you can so get two batteries and get heap of battery life. So, yeah. So what are you looking at, Matt? Are you looking at a monocular? You're looking at like a handheld, or you're yeah, at monocular. Scope? Yeah. No, nah, monocular, just a handheld. I um, just I've always wanted to to start out and a lot of a lot of the people I've been speaking to that have been playing with them said don't get it on a scope because then you always have to lift your rifle up and you know mm. blah 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 and I was like well that makes sense spotting mate you know using it as a spotter would be would be good and look that is with my sort of you know hopefully I'll get a bit more private access coming down the track and having that would be really nice to to play with but even in a state forest now mm. that it's, it's great legal, that, that was sort of the well, that you know, that was the thing. I'd never bought one. I'd always wanted to get one, but having no private access and not being able to use them in state forests, it was like it's a lot of money to not mm. use and to sit there. And <laughs> then, as it's soon as that possum, state yeah. forest sort of came about, I went, "Hmm, that I, I do like the idea of that." Um, you know, it might help me get my first year. Who knows? So, and and I'm not opposed to tech. So that's one of my, you know, one of the things I. I'm really passionate about in the when I you know in the hunting sort of thing. I love just finding new gear and wasting my money. My wife absolutely loves it. Yeah, I bet she does. Uh, well, you've brought <laughs> it up. I was going to bring it up. I want to talk about the deer journey, not to give you a ribbing. Yeah. Um, it's no, an open, it. It it's an open conversation. <laughs> you've been working really hard to to take your first deer on state forest or on public land. Uh, now you've picked up a bow. Right, next week I'm buying myself a pointy stick. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going full traditional, get the boomerang out. Um, How how are you going to get this, or are you going to hold out for hunt camp and come and we'll? No, look, it was, uh, I guess it was just a circumstance. I, uh, I just. 
I'd started in the state forest and geez, I've had just that running the, the bushfires hit. I just started to feel like I was getting traction. I was seeing deer and the bushfires hit, wiped out all my spots down the snowies. And then that moved into COVID, not being able to travel and, and whatnot. And then um, we started a family and my wife and I live down here. There's no family support or anything like that. So I decided when we were having twins, I was going to be home for, for 12 weeks to support and help, help with her. And uh, <laughs> it was, oh, I'll grab a bow and I'll be able to shoot every day. Twins will be okay. Uh, it's only, you know, double the nappies. It was definitely not like that. I don't think I slept for the first three months. It was a crazy time. So I sort of went, well, my, I'm limited in how far I can go or the time I can get away. And, and that was almost <laughs> why one of the reasons the podcast came about, to be honest, because for well, the first one anyway was, uh, I'm not going to be able to go away as much. I'm going to talk about it more because I love talking about it and just you know meeting people and, and having those conversations. And then I went, well, the closest state forest for me is Belanglo. It's 50-odd minutes um, compared to you know three hours. It's a lot more achievable. And I thought, well, you know what? Oh, I, a lot of it I like going out just to be in the bush. Mm. And it's not, you know, I'm... I might sound a bit crazy here, but I don't lay there at night going, I haven't got a deer, you know, geez, I'm a failure. <laughs> I come no. back from a, a hunt going, geez, I, I learned something or I had fun. And, and that's one of the reasons I got into hunting. You know, I've played in multiple World Cups, went over to New Zealand for one of them. And I'm, I've always been that competitive sports person. And that's what I love about the hunting side of it because I have so much to learn and there's so many challenges. And it's probably why I make it a bit harder on myself. Like I've never got a mentor. I, uh, I haven't really, you know, struck a chord with too many people in, in hunting clubs and things like that. So I've been going out on my own and, and just learning and doing the best I can. And it's, it's a journey. It's taken a while. Um, the bow is, is more just to get out more because it's more achievable. Uh, I am under no illusions that it's going to be, uh, it's not going to be an absolute hard slog. But you know what? To be honest, that Belangla, I've seen the most deer I've ever seen in a state forest on that last trip with eight of them, you know, coming past. And they're at 70 meters. And I was in, just in the wrong spot. I was on the wrong trail, just waiting to ambush them. So, um, you know, look, that happens. It's, it's part of the journey. And, uh, you know, just even seeing them and, and getting excited that I was so close to my strategy working this time. And, and, you know, unpacking that and talking to people about it, and that, that's a win for me. And, and a new skill, the bow's been great. I love shooting it. And I can at home comfortably out to, I've just made a, a little thing so I can shoot out to a backstop so I can shoot out to 50, 50 metres comfortably. And, you know, that just a bit easier than getting to the range all the time. And yeah. that's the, the journey. But, um, yeah, look, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, still, it's still going. It's, it's, uh, I'm excited to get one, but I'm also, I'm sort of, I don't want to, rush it nor end it easier so it well could be uh be up there with you guys next uh next march or april so haven't got a deer or you haven't got a deer on public land no i haven't got a deer at all so my um i've been shooting for oh geez you know i got my license back around 2005 mm -hmm. and it was just target shooting and I thoroughly enjoyed that. And I was in the, the army for a bit and that sort of got me into shooting and just love shooting. So that, that's where it came and sort of had a couple of mates take us here and there. So we're knocking bunnies and rabbits off, uh, sorry, bunnies and foxes and things like that. But I, uh, I really didn't even know about deer hunting till about 
2016 maybe 2016 and that was when I, I don't have friends that hunt I don't have mm. family that was it was a very I'm one of those people that just sort of went oh you know oh there's state forest oh okay this is interesting I just started searching and learning and going okay this is great so and then all basically went out on on my own every single time and just started to learn and find and, and go through that with the, the help of some podcasts and, and watching things on YouTube. And that's sort of been the journey so far. So yeah, I haven't got a deer. It's, um, it's Man, been a challenge. I, uh, social media is going to go spastic for that day. I don't think it will. Go, ah! my, my social media is very low. I'm sure you'll get all the encouragement in the world. I'm sure Frank will, uh, Frank will be all over that. Frank will that. go mad. Oh, you know, he's such a good <laughs> Frank guy, will go Frank. Nuts. He's, <laughs> he's there when I get it, to be honest, because he's, uh, he's such a good bloke. But, look, I, uh, yeah, that's no, one of those things. It's, it's exciting for me to go out and even if it's to get closer. And that seems to be what's happening each time. And I, I you know, I, it, it's never been, it's never been, oh, I'm, Trophy hunting, get why people do it. For me, that has not been the reason I've got into it. That's just mm-hmm. not not why. I'm, that could change. I I have no well, idea. No, it'll, but it'll change when that first. Buck, I, I that first croak, croak, croak. You'll you'll be hooked. Well, I had that last time, and that was amazing. But see, that's you know that that, <laughs> that to me now. Oh, <laughs> it's funny. The next one now is like I just want to hear Reds roaring. Um, I haven't even like you know. I sort of went, oh, I want to hear that because I was able to hear Fallow for the first time this right. The next one's that, which is funny because I sort of sit there and sometimes and go, well, yeah, why isn't it get go back and get get a Fallow buck in the right? It's so I'm a bit unique sometimes the way I sort of think or approach things. Um, but that's yeah, I just I don't know. It's it's one. It's been a I wouldn't change a thing, to be honest. I, I sit there and go, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed what it is. I do enjoy the hard slog and the challenge. And I have been enjoying the, the private, uh, sorry, the public land aspect of it. And that, I, I do like that frustration of getting close, but no cigar to drive me. And, you know, I'm, I need that. And that's why hunting is just the perfect thing because you can do it forever. Mm. It's not like playing rugby league where you've got a shelf life and that's it's it's the beauty about it too for me it's you know getting into places that maybe no one's ever been and finding something new and along the way and if you know hopefully harvesting an animal for that that meat and and that's that's the driving factor as well so it's just so many elements to it that i just love awesome Mm. everyone's gone very reflective mate yeah yeah we all we all know what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. We yeah. all know you'll exactly what you're talking it. about. You'll get one, and then you'll go ah, and then you'll start seeing more, and it'll just become a habit. You'll figure it out where they like are it. and what time of day and what the wind's <laughs> like and what face, and you're like, oh, that'll make yeah, sense. yeah, right, eh? cool. And you'll just start walking. Them. I think that's the uh, you know I think the. The, one of the main reasons I want to get one is to stop the uh, stop the wife hassling me so much. You know, she she does fantastic with the veggies and the chicken and all I ever hear. And Frank loves it because he's always you know adding fuel to the fire. Thanks, Frank. I know you'll be listening. Um, but you know, the, the wife comes home and just you still haven't got one, eh? Like you've just yeah, gone no, away no, for a couple get, of days. I, and look, you, I get that too. Uh, where's you know. where's the meat, mate? <laughs> like, yeah. 
I've just let you out of the house and I've kept the three little ones and you can't even can't even sort it out, you know. Yeah, get I better. Get, I get I get <laughs> so that too, buddy. You're gonna eat venison? Uh, mate, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. She's uh she's we we've been lucky enough, a few people have given us some and whatnot. So I um mate, she's a great cook and she loves cooking it, so it's a real win there. Mm. And it's Good. um mate, yeah, she she's just all about getting it and saying, "Hey, you know, that's probably why I get the leeway and get out there to try and get some." But um, awesome. yeah, yeah, no, it's it, I'm lucky in that sense. So it's been been pretty good because you know, especially with the little ones, it's been another element to the journey that I probably didn't expect and didn't think would impact it so much. But you know, we were very big into camping, and that was sort of we would go away camping, and then the little ones came along, and it's like, oh, geez, there's so many more elements to it now. Oh. I can't just get away for longer periods of time, and it's you know, and not complaining. I love the kids and whatnot, but it's just that extra little element no, no, to right. it that makes it a bit harder. Yeah, and right. and I think that to be, that's made it better in one way because now I cherish that time out in the bush a lot more because I know there's not going to be a heap of it, and whatever time I get out there, make the most of it and really just enjoy it. Which you know, it, it, it's like a reset for me. I, I absolutely love it. Hmm. I keep to to Nundle though. I keep hearing everybody up. talk uh, about it. Yeah, look, Nundle is really good. I mean, but the, in reality, you're actually in probably the better deer country in in you know in terms of percentage. Oh, yeah, but I mean, Nundle is very. But look, the the thing about Nundle is the Nundle camp is probably you know the, the is is. You know, fantastic. And if if you hunt by yourself, then you'll really get something out of deer camp because you know you'll you'll have twenty four other people to talk to who, who, strange enough, talk exactly like you do. You know, um, yeah. and, and so that's they're all they're all on their journey. Yeah, you know, there's it. a lot of yeah, all... hunters. There's bow hunters that come. They're they're the first ones up. They're the last ones back. They're quite quiet. They come they come back into camp. They, you know, they might share in the meal. Uh, and then they'll be preparing for the next day and thinking about what they're doing. It's not a big Yahoo. It's certainly, mm-hmm. it's certainly a very focused group of fellas that come in that have, have, you know, they were here last year. They've got their spots. They're going back to those spots. They know what to expect. They've learnt from last time. You know, guys that have come back um, <coughs> a couple of different times. First time they came, they started to piece the puzzle together. They saw the animals, but they didn't quite take one. Second time. They picked up exactly where they left off, got their first year, were able to celebrate it with a whole bunch of fellas, which was just tremendous. It was so good for these guys. And, mm, yeah. and myself, like I managed to take a couple. You know, I'm always happy to take take deer in State Forest. Um and you can use the um use the animal to teach, you know, and, and, and show people the next steps, even if they don't get to take one themselves, right? So they all get to participate. And look, that learning aspect is just what really you know excites me as well. Like I went and did the kangaroo harvesters, the kangaroo harvesters course at TAFE, just to get better at you know knowing butchery and and you know safe meat handling practices and things like that. I'll probably never um, do it professionally, but it was just an opportunity to learn more, and oh, that's man. just it's so good. I remember you talking about this on a recent podcast. And I'm like, man, you think about it. You got you guys think about this stuff a lot, like safe meat handling and and um, temperatures and how. Mm. Like, all I could think of 
uh, was how do I interject and, and, and add here uh, <laughs> while I'm listening to your podcast again? Not because I, I know better. In fact, you're probably doing um, a lot better with your meat than I do um, because I, I don't think about it that hard. Um, you know, we were over in New Zealand. We shot these um, red stags. We've taken a whole bunch of meat off them. And we're there for 10 days. <coughs> Excuse me. We're in one of these hot tents, right? So it's minus three or four outside. It's snowing, sleeting, fucking freezing. And we go into the hot tents, 30 degrees. Everyone's stripped down to their bloody stubbies and singlets, sitting around 10 of us in this tent, for you know, the four-man tent with a stove in the middle. On the stove was a hot pot, and that hot pot was always on the on the not a boil but a slow simmer. It was full of pasta and rice and sauce and onions and mushrooms. Backstrap, bit of rump, bit of this, and once we carved enough up, uh, carved enough off it to put it in the pot, it got hung up in the tent, tent. on on the rails in the tent. It was thirty degrees, and then that thirty degrees would plummet to minus four, and then the day would heat up and fifteen degrees, whatever. We'd all get back in there. It'd be 30 degrees again that night. Slice some more off. No worries. Nothing wrong with it. This <laughs> thing was going up and down and up and down and up and down. And in the end, we still had another whole backstrap. One of the guys said, oh, I'm staying. I'm going to Queenstown. Put in a, <laughs> put in a plastic bag, threw it in his pack. Three days later, he got to Queenstown, served it up to all of his friends in the, in the little shallow that they were in. Sweet <laughs> ass. No problem. Like, it's meat. It's just red meat. It's fine. It's okay. And you know, I was listening to your podcast. Have you ever had food poisoning? <laughs> no. <laughs> and I've eaten a lot of harvested meat that I don't really treat as well. I'll throw it in sloppy icy water. No worries. I might put it in a bag first, but it's yeah, still going in there. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I just. Um, if it was chicken, different. <coughs> I don't eat wild pork, but red meat, controlled rot, which is all good. Trust me, mate. I, uh, oh, I've had man. I've had food poisoning too many times. I uh, I'll err on the side of caution. Yeah. I don't I don't go out of my way to mistreat it, but you know at Nundal, you could shoot an animal and hang it in the tree for three days before you butcher it. Oh, it's you know, cold it's in enough. The shade. It's cooler. Yeah. It's cool. It's cold. It's cool. Warms up. <laughs> I've never really found it's a major problem. Um, I'm sure well, other people have. Well, like you, Matt, I've done I've done some safe meat handling courses and that, so I'm quite particular about how I handle the meat and the temperature and that. Well, and those backstraps <laughs> up in the, the territory, same. man, they were they were in the they were in the uh, ice with the beers. Well, we didn't end up eating those because they went a bit rank. They yeah, were a bit smelly. Uh, yeah, that, that 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 was an extreme situation in terms of the heat. That's a yeah, it was a, a different story. Yeah. Who wants a good listen? Anyway, I'd have to say I'm somewhere between you. I'm somewhere in between the lot of you. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like you know, letting this thing sit in thirty degree heat. But uh, I probably <laughs> cook it in the tent. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was, as I said, yeah, there's ten in the ten. Oh, only eight of us made it back here. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was tender, but, beautiful. But I, I don't know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's all the bacteria I, I do, that's I, deteriorated the meat. It's yeah, that's what they call it. Well, I think a big part of it is, you know, and you know that just you get you just refine these things. You start to build your own approach to these things, and you start to work out. And I mean, I'm always experimenting. Always, I'm always yeah. thinking, I'll see something. I go, I'll, I'll see if that works. And, you know, there's, you know, there's, 
eighty percent of the stuff I've bought for hunting, I've turned over. It hasn't worked. I've tried. We it. Went, I don't know um, how many rifle. I was having a conversation with someone about rifle slings. I don't know how many rifle slings I've had. up. I didn't end up. Got one. <laughs> Put that we over my shoulder. On a trip down in you know, Victoria for Samba, and we um, there was a couple mm. there that were very good with their older skills, um, and. Um, they went up and, and, and shot a couple of Samba, broke them down, and threw them in brine barrels. I thought that was interesting. Mm. So they, they made the brine up in camp, mm. lots of salt, lots of this, lots of that, yeah. clothes, something went in it, and they stuffed all the meat into brine barrels. No refrigeration required. Unreal. Such a good way to okay. do it. I love, like, the bushcraft sort of stuff, and you're probably right when you start talking about that you can treat it pretty badly and still be fine um because you sort of I, I read about how people did did keep meat previously mm. and, and all the different mm. styles and nothing obviously happened to them but it's uh yeah it's yeah, an interesting one they I, I, died when they were 30 but we just lost we just lost grandma through the vapors or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. it was it was his time at twenty five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's something to do with that, but yeah, it's as you, Mark, I think that's one of the things I really enjoy too is finding gear and rotating through gear mm. and mm. just upgrading or getting something new that sounded great and then you go, oh, it's not that great, mm. um, and then get rid of it and, and bring something new in and oh, that it's all it's all part of the puzzle. It's so much fun to 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 be involved with it and i'm about to pursue reloading and it's just i keep finding all these new little rabbit hole avenues and rabbit holes and i'm just (laughs) super excited stick to the bow mat stick to the bow (laughs) remember your crony for the bow won't work for your for your rifle so you'll need two of those you'll need two of those that's a rabbit too much time on your hands i don't but i try to make things that's more and more. Yeah, it's good fun. Mm. No, 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 no. That I know that journey very well. I'm on. Yeah, I'm done it myself. On it. And... I'm still on it. So I'm, you know, I've got into Kuyu clothing this this year, and um, you look at those prices and you go, yeah. Some people think I'm rich. I'm just irresponsible. Um, <laughs> so that's it. Yeah, and I've always, as the guys will tell you, I have a particular bent for knives and torches. And old and old things. I've seen a few of your torch posts. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Didn't you get a new one lately? Uh, I haven't got a new one lately. No, you got no. a new knife lately. And, yeah, was it knife? Right, was knife. It? Yeah, knives. Um, My new favourite. Uh, Ian's, Ian's got a couple of. I got. I have uh, a new okay, torch yeah. lately. That's a, that's got a good, knives. I got one of those. This thing was. I've moved the collection to Benchmade knives. This thing was awesome. It's a. It's a. Um. An army. That's a little pack. That's completely. Um. Mm. Transparent, all right. So you turn it on and it glows out the back as well as the front, but it just clips onto your cap. I just clip yeah. it onto my bino rig, and it just completely lights up in front of you. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> you know, when you're mm. walking at night, you do a lot of night hunting, or not night hunting, but walking out at night, um, you feel more uncoordinated, <laughs> and that's because you've only got one light. Most people only carry one light, and that one light gives you very bad tunnel vision. Yeah, a guide in New Zealand once said. If you have two lights, you'll feel like you're walking in the daylight because you've got one that gives you broad view and you've got one that follows your vision and your coordination is 10 times better. 
and I was walking out the other day, actually, the other torch of mine went flat, and all I had was this little thing I'd never used before. I stuck on the bino rig and wandered out for a, a little while, and it was just unreal. Such and it was bright as we like saw you coming from 40 bucks or something, mm, hundreds of meters. Yeah. yeah. So. That, look, I think that's one of the best things about podcasts is I've picked up so many different things from so many different podcasts that you find out something like now I'll be straight onto that. All right. Let me have a look at that. Let me spend the money on that and get something new to test it out. And uh, to, it's to the point anytime the wife gets in the car and there's a hunting mm-hmm. podcast on, she's getting nervous. And, <laughs> yeah, she's grabbing the phone, taking away, no online shopping, mate. She gives me a time limit in the gun shop. I walk in and she goes, that's it, you've got five minutes, hurry up. Oh, <laughs> there's a reason. You're spending five minutes, though. Oh, a, yeah, lot, a lot. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you get in a lot of trouble. Especially with a bit of pre-work, you know, you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all good. All right, boys. I was super interested. Just sorry, I was super interested to hear you boys all talking about the tickers being away and upgrading, not using them as much anymore. It was in, I think, uh, I I think it was the Zolio, wasn't it? The episode you were. I I was I love the ticker. Now I'm sitting there going, hmm, maybe I need to have a look at expanding my my uh, view because I need more than one rifle. Yeah. Oh, I've no, got plenty of them, no. <laughs> but I, uh, I, like, I was, I was actually thinking of making them all ticker, and now I'm going. Well, you guys are, putting, you're not even grabbing them at the moment. That's well, very, well, um, my, you've, well, you've perked my curiosity. My, my, the custom build I built with Beretta is what it, well, it started life as a ticker, so it is technically a ticker. It's a CDR, and the thing is, I don't. Only standard rifles. That's yep. that's what I. So all my stuff is modified or customized in some way. So my oldest rifle is my, a Tika, and it is fully customized. You know, uh, custom fit, fitted stock and all that stuff. But it's still a Tika. The but there's some other really interesting. You know, there is or there's a lot of nice stuff in there. I mean, Ian and I run in the BRX, which is just a wholly different type of rifle. And then uh, Ian and John, I've got the the Lupos, the Benelli's, and they're just, they're ridiculously nice when you see them in the box. Holy smokes. Because they're a fantastic combination of like new styling, but with really nice componentry and timber work and stuff. So smooth. Benelli's just love it. Oh, that's beautiful. You just look at it, holy smokes, you know, and it's whatever they call it. It's not sericating. It's what do they call it? Best coating. Best. best They've got this. Armor on it, type thing, and so it's mm. pretty spectacular. They Look, are. I'll always, I'll always have a ticker in the same. Mm. I love my ticker. I love the action. I think they're great rifles, but there's certainly some good options out there. Like yeah, mm. the BRX, beautiful rifle, but that Benelli, I've got the the Timber Benelli, and that is just it is stunning. It is a beautiful rifle. I mean, I was it's talking it. Rigby on Monday night. You know that stuff. That's well, their side lock start at one hundred and fifty thousand pounds, and they're um. The new one, their cheaper one, starts at seventy well, thirty five thousand pounds. Tune into our next time. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah, I, I do not believe I'll pull that off. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit of yeah, a so you know that, that so you just kinda of go, holy and I mean, I was in England shooting uh with with John O uh, John McGee and um Steve Kelly, 
and Jonathan at the time was doing the the um the socials for um Longthorn Shotgun. So he said, hey, look, you can borrow this Longthorn for the day. And that was about, I think it was about 25,000 pounds. And it's right-handed and it belted the hell out of me. But I said, well, you know, this is the best beat up, you know, most most expensive beating up I'm going to get. So I'm going to take it. So I you know, <laughs> shot all day. It was just fantastic. And then even with um, uh, Steve, gave us the the new well at the time the new yielded shotguns and they were the grade five ones and you know even though they're, they're you know, turkish made but they were grade five shotguns and they were just beautiful things to shoot so yeah you know there's there's a whole there's a lot of stuff to play with mm. yeah never yeah, ending my, my teak is sitting He's up got to win the, the lotto i uh <laughs> i sold quite a bit of my gear so that i could build a new hunting rifle that i wanted well not customized but get the, the the scope in the rifle that i wanted and it was the it was the tika <coughs> and it's done mm. a little bit of work but you know full disclaimer we're um we've got some very good support out of out of beretta australia and um they are nice enough to be able to say well you know what are you doing what type of hunting are you doing and what's going to support that you know and we're able to have a look at the various different products and and pick a couple of things that are going to work we go to the territory, what's it going to be? It's this caliber and it's this type of rifle for fast shooting and this type of scope. They support us with that and it's great. Um, we've sort of landed on a few things that we're finding really, really good. And mm. unfortunately, that leaves the teeth on the chop. Don't want to get back. Don't want to get back. Yeah, man. I don't want this to sound arrogant at all. I hadn't even looked at the price of the Lupos. Um, I just, you know, we were talking about them and we got them and we were using them, setting them up. Man, it was nice. Absolutely beautiful to to look at, to, to feel, to to use. It was only after I'd taken it out for its first round of scratches that um, I looked at the price tag and realised that it was a, a couple of levels above where I was already. Um, but you can see the difference. You know, if you've got the if you've got the budget to afford something yeah, like definitely. a Lupo, it's, it's a beautiful piece of kit. <coughs> Yeah, I mean that's that Seiko eighty five that they you know they gave me to carry up in the territory. That was a fantastic rifle. I mean, it's just typical quality Seiko build. Lovely bit of timber. It's very straight. Was very you know traditional, but man, it was a fantastic rifle. And um, when uh, it ended up getting sold, you know, went back and they sold sold it. And the, and when they sold it, they showed the video of me hunting with it and the guy went oh okay sure i'll take that you know that was it <laughs> that's the rifle there bang sold it so you know it was a fantastic and it, you know so there's a lot to experience and uh so tika are, are lovely rifles but there's 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 plenty of um there's plenty of options out there and to appeal to you matt the brx um if you've not looked at it i'm sure you probably have but interchangeable barrels you know, mm. completely customizable, left to right hand. Um, you can, you know, configure your trigger weights, all that sort of stuff with the barreling. But being able to go up, we've got a territory trip plan in the planning for next year. Um, being able to go up there with a 306, target the donkeys and the pigs, go back into camp, put the 9.3 on, go chase buffalo. You, know, you change the barrel and the bolt face, and off you go again. It's all completely doable in the field. I think that's a really cool platform. Straight pullers, it's a pleasure to use, isn't it? I, I wasn't sure. I hadn't seen it the first time I, I mm. saw it was when it got delivered and we picked it up and started to play with it when it was brand new into the country. I'm a, I'm a convert for sure. It's it's performed really well. 
in the dust and the wet and the everything. It hasn't missed a beat. Uh, whereas some of the straight pulls and some of the other brands have been a bit, how's it going? This one, as you can expect, made by Breda, pretty damn good. Um, so that's worth mm, a look. The interchangeable, well barrel, uh, bar- well the interchangeable barrels is just so exciting. Mm. Yeah, it, oh, that's, awesome. that's been something that's super, like I've been sort of paying close attention, looking at the Seikos and I know Hardy do them and things like that and watching that space. Jeez, it's good. Yeah. Mm. So I've got the um, the... The BRX, the you know, Minecraft one, as we call it, that uh, that I carried first last week was the first time I actually carried in the field, and so I carried, didn't get to use it because um, basically I was checking trail cameras. But um, yeah, that's that'll be what I'll be carrying for the rest of the year, and it's I'm running a red dot on it, so which is again, you know, changing up, being you know, just trying some. And Breda actually, or you know, Scott from Breda actually challenged me. He said. I want you to try it. And I went, mm. and he said, okay. And I said, well, I'll put a scope on it. And I want you to try red dots. So I said, okay, I'll, gi- I'll give it a go. So it's, I'm actually learning a different way of shooting. And we're actually, hopefully, to get Carl from um, Aimpoint in Sweden on one of the podcasts who we met at a, at a, at a training night to talk a little bit about it because he's hunted around the world with them. So. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, get him it to, is. Get him to hunt camp. Great. Yeah, or I've actually got a text message back from him, so it's ha- we're we're moving, we're good. moving that right direction. Mm. Well, good luck with your choices. You've got a lot to think about if you're looking at your next rifle and all the information that's out there now to peruse. So yeah, I'll, all I well, know is when it comes to your next rifle, the answer is always yes. <laughs> Send that email that came Just, in today. Yeah. That's right. Try more. That's right. Should I get a new rifle? Don't ask silly questions. Just ask what kind. Yeah. <laughs> it's just about what what kind. You know, the answer is yes. It's just what kind. What, what, that's just a, we'll work that part out later. But the answer is always yes. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I think we're about done, guys. Awesome. Well, thanks, uh, Matt. Thanks for being um, on the podcast this evening. Really enjoyed it. It was a good chat. Um, yeah. Thanks, gents. Thank you very much. Yeah, stuff, I don't man. know what's up with your awesome. mic. It keeps fighting in. But yeah, yeah, mate, thank you very much for coming on. Um, it's been a, <clears throat> it's funny, it's completely different structure. So it's been a, it's been an exploratory podcast for us as much as much as anything. So appreciate your time, buddy. No, thanks for having us, boys. I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed it and keep doing what you're doing. It's great stuff. Thanks, man. Okay, Good on you, man. Thanks, mate. Okay, guys. <laughs>